Want to go ahead and get started? Sure. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the July 1st, 2021 Board of Zoning Appeals and Sign Code Board of Appeals meetings. My name is Luke Mortensen, and I'll be facilitating the Zoom video portion of tonight's meeting. With me virtually is Catherine Week, Planner and Staff Liaison to the Board of Zoning Appeals. We will work alongside the chair, who is also on remote video, to facilitate tonight's meeting's proceedings. Currently, everybody should be muted so that we can talk through the general ground rules for tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. This will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In the menu, you can also turn your camera on or off by clicking the video icon located next to the microphone icon. For the purposes of tonight's public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration of the meeting. If you're participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on your Zoom screen, you will also see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Be aware that we will not be screen sharing as a part of tonight's meeting this evening. All attachments, reference materials, and submissions um, for the, from the public are included in the agenda packet. A few reminders to ensure that the provisions of the Kansas Open Meetings Act are met. Board of Zoning Appeals members, you must state your name and title each time you speak. Members of city staff will also state their name and title each time they speak. I would ask applicants and members of the public identify themselves each time before they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. Individuals who signed up in advance to provide public comment remotely will be called upon by name. When you are called upon, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct them to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner, each member, excuse me, individually to provide their vote. Staff will then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. I want to again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you're not speaking. And at this point, I will turn it back over to Chair Herod. Thank you, Luke. Uh, as Luke advised, everybody, welcome to the July 1st, 2021 meeting of the Lawrence City Board of Zoning Appeals and Sign Code Board of Appeals. Uh, first, I'll ask staff to call the roll and see if we have quorum tonight. All right. Clark. Present. Falvey. Present. Gardner. Herod. Here. Rankin. Present. Shalinsky. I'm here. Weisner. We have a quorum. All right. Thank you, Luke. Uh, next, looking at our agenda, um, I'll ask about, well, first, why don't we convene as the sign code Board of Appeals, and then I'll uh, inquire regarding communications and such. Does that sound okay, Luke? That sounds good. Okay, so we are now convened as the City of Lawrence Sign Code Board of Appeals. 
it looks like we have one agenda item tonight. Um, does anyone want to acknowledge any communications to come before the board, disclose any ex parte communications, and are there any items that will be deferred? Luke Morrison, Planning and Development Services. Um, we have no communications from staff for the board or to the board. Um, no ex parte communications or abstentions as well. And then for the sign code board of appeals, there'll be no items deferred tonight. All right, great. And just going back to the board members, any ex parte or any communications anybody needs to acknowledge? No, don't think so. Okay. Well then, this is Chairperson Herod. We'll move on to the one agenda item we have tonight on the sign code of board of appeals. And this is regarding, uh, what is this? Which item is this? It's not jumping right out at me. Help me, Luke. This is um, C1. C1. All right. Thank you. We'll just call it C1. So we'll ask uh, staff, take it away. Hi, good evening. I'm Timberly French, permit technician for City of Lawrence Planning and Development Services Department Building Safety Division. And I'm here to present a variance from the sign code, um, specifically from section 51818B, restrictions by zoning district for permanent wall signs. The property is zoned RSO, um, which is single dwelling residential office district and the property is located at 4340 West 6th Street. The requested variance is to deviate from the provisions of section 51818B for the number of allowed wall signs for um, RSO zoning district. The applicant's request is to place a 23.43 square foot non-illuminated wall sign on the southeast building wall where there is an existing um, separate 12.25 square foot wall sign. Um, the staff recommends approval of the requested variance. The property is along a busy arterial street um, where speed and volume warrant identifying signs to identify the business. Um, the southeast building wall for the proposed second sign fronts 6th Street and is sometimes screened by trees, um, limiting the exposure to the public. And then the public entrance is located on the north side of the building. Um, the uh, proposed additional sign is um, visible, would be vis visible and legible to enable the public to locate the facility effectively and efficiently. The total square footage of both the existing wall sign and the proposed wall sign would equal 35.68 square feet. While the proposed signs do not conform with the prescriptive requirements of the sign code for the number of allowed wall signs, um, it may benefit the public welfare to vary this code, the code to allow for a second sign on the southeast wall to identify the business from the 6th Street frontage because the existing wall sign is a business logo only and is integrated into the architectural brickwork of the building and removal of this existing sign would create a blank space on the elevation that would reduce the visual quality of the architecture. 
The existing wall sign is a logo only, and although technically defined as a sign in the sign code, it doesn't identify the business name. The second additional sign would contain the business name and logo, which would identify the business from 6th Street. And the requested sign is similar in type um, and area to signs that have been approved for other businesses in the immediate vicinity. Um, a wall sign that identifies the tenant space is appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody, this is Chairperson Hara, does any uh, board member have any questions for staff? Uh, this is board member Shalinsky. Um, I'm just clarifying, um, there is a monument sign uh, for this business along 6th Street, is that correct? That is correct. So there is in fact identifying signage visible from the street. That is correct. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyone? Any other board member have anything for Ms. French? No? Is there any, uh, is the actual petitioner here tonight? No, petitioner is not here. Okay. Is there any public comment on this item? Luke Mortensen, Planning and Development Services. I'm not seeing any Zoom public comment and it does not appear to be anybody in the city commission room to comment. All right, thank you, Luke. This is Chairperson Herod. Well, then I will bring it back to the board for consideration of agenda item C1 and look for discussion from the board. This is Chair Member Clark, um, and I'm just responding to staff's point about uh, it being a uh, the criteria being met because there's something unique about this location, um, and the the concern being that that we have lots of properties in town along busy arterial streets where speed and volume of traffic warrant larger signs. Um, and if, if that's the case, then I would encourage staff to reconsider their, um, their current zoning laws and, and have it so that more people uh, in that condition can have larger wall signs. The chairperson here, anybody else on the board have anything? All right, well, for lack of discussion, does anybody want to make a motion? Uh, this is Chairmember Clark. I'll make a motion uh, that uh, in light of staff's presentation and uh, the discussion among the board members, I, I'm having a hard time finding that this meets the, uh, the requirements. Uh, set forth that for us uh, for approval of a variance and I'm going to make a motion that we deny the variance request. All right. It's been moved by board member Clark that we deny the staff recommendation. 
Um, we deny the variance request. Is there a second for board member Clark's motion? Board member Rankin, I'll second that. Okay, it's been moved and seconded. I would ask staff to call the roll on this motion to deny the variance. Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. Clark. Aye. Falvey. Aye. Herod. Nay. Rankin. Aye. Shalinsky. Aye. The motion fails four to one. Okay, thank you, Luke. I believe the motion passes. Oh, excuse me. I'm excuse me. I'm excuse me. The motion to deny the variance passes. Sorry. Okay. So, is there any other business to come before the uh, signed code board of appeals? All right. Seeing none from the board, Luke, do you know of any reason that the signed board of appeals can't adjourn at this time? Luke Warrenson, Planning Development Services staff. I'm not aware of any signed code items coming up in the next month. That being said, we do have a deadline until tomorrow uh, afternoon. Um, if you are ready to gavel out of sign, oh, looks like Catherine's got something to say. Yeah, I think we may have one next month. We'll see though if it comes in. Tomorrow is the deadline. Okay, very well. Well, this is Chairperson Herod. Then I'd look for a motion to adjourn the signed code Board of Appeals. Board Member Clark, so move. All right. Is it been Shalinsky, moved? second. Been moved and seconded to adjourn the signed code Board of Appeals. Staff, will you please call the roll for on this motion? Clark? Aye. Falvey? Aye. Herod? Aye. Rankin? Aye. Shalinsky. Aye. Motion to adjourn. Now, Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff. Chair Herod, if you would then uh, gavel us into or bring us into the Board of Zoning Appeals, please. Absolutely. This is Chairperson Herod. Uh, I will now convene the City of Lawrence Board of Zoning Appeals. And I will go back to agenda item B just as, out of a sense of completeness. Does any board member need to acknowledge any communications, any ex parte communications on, are there any agenda items that will be deferred tonight? Uh, board member Shalinsky, I'm going to acknowledge what I will call some indirect communication uh, with regard to item three. Um, that's the appeal of the staff determination about uh, the parking requirements. Um, as it happens, I'm a person who wears a few different hats, one of which is that I'm the president of the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association. And um, in that capacity, I received an announcement to the Neighborhood Association of the existence of this agenda item. Um, I pass that information along to the uh, executive board of the association with uh, 
instructions that if they were to have any communications about this item, they were to do so without my involvement. Um, and I was not subsequently involved in any communications. I would also acknowledge um, that um, I received email communication from uh, Patrick Watkins, the uh, attorney for the uh, appellant about uh, unrelated matters. So uh, I feel like I have clean hands with regard to this item, but I also felt like I should um, acknowledge to people that um, I have communicated with some of the parties um, regarding other issues. Thank you. All right. Thank you, board member Shalinsky. Um, tell you what, we will take that under advisement and we may revisit that when we get to agenda item three tonight on the board of zoning appeals to make sure that we proceed correctly. Um, otherwise, anything from any other board members tonight? Mr. Clark. This is board member Clark. I'm, I, I believe I see everyone else is here except staff. Um, I believe all the board members received an email um, from Cody Bates on yesterday afternoon um, addressed to all board members. Yes, I got that email. Did all the other board members get that email? Yes. And I actually, hold on one second. Board member Shalinsky, yes, I did. Going back. Staff, are you aware? Yeah, I think Catherine is on this now that I look at it. So staff, you saw this email that was sent out by Cody Bates, didn't you? Yes, yeah, staff received the email um, in, for whatever reason, the uh, communicator also copied all of the board members, but all the communications, including that one, were subsequently uploaded to the packet. So everyone that got the email, it's also been uploaded to the packet. So okay. there's additional communication. All right, very good. All right. All right. And Luke, did you advise us yet if any agenda items are going to be deferred tonight? Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff. We have no uh, deferred items tonight. All right. Thank you. Well, then I think it's appropriate for us then to move on to our first agenda item tonight for the Board of Zoning Appeals. And I'm looking at item number one, which is B-21-00163. Luke, hey, Tra Travis, Luke yes. Morrison, PDS, would you um, ask to see for a roll so that we can make sure there's quorum, please? Oh, right, yeah. And staff, will you please call the roll to make sure that we have quorum for the Board of Zoning Appeals? Certainly, Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff. Clark? Hi, here, present. Balvi? Here. Herod? Here. Gardner? Rankin? Present. Shalinsky? I'm here. Weisner? We have quorum. 
Thank you, Luke. This is Chairperson Herod. All right, as I said before, we'll move on to uh, agenda item one, which is B-21-00163. I'd ask staff to present. Good evening, board members. Luke Morrison with the Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair Herod just noted, item, item number one on tonight's agenda is a request for variance from the required front setback for a CS commercial strip district lot. Address is 2735 Iowa Street. The request is to reduce the required front setback from 25 feet to 20 feet for the installation of an overhead canopy associated with an OMD order meal delivery system. Property and building permitting records indicate the existing commercial structure was constructed in compliance with the required front yard setback in 2015. The subject property was platted and recorded as Lot 2, 27 Iowa edition in 2015 as well. The subject property and the subject structure both came into existence under the current land development code. So the first uh, BZA criteria to consider is the existence of conditions that are unique to the property and based in platting or zoning. Additionally, this criteria considers that the condition of uniqueness, uh, if present, is caused by the applicant. The physical conditions of the site, uh, as staff has determined, are not unique. The Iowa Street right-of-way width is a result of the street's concurrent designation as US 59 Highway. While the Iowa Street frontage road has been vacated along portions of this right-of-way, uh, it remains on both sides of Iowa Street between 27th Street and 29th Terrace. There are various land uses along this portion of Iowa Street that must contend with the same CS Commercial Strip District front setback requirement. The subject property was platted in 2015 and met the required standards for a CS district lot. The required variance is not the result of a condition of uniqueness based in platting or zoning. Uh, it is a result of the applicant's de desire to achieve a desired design element. The second criteria to consider is whether the proposed variance will adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. Staff does not believe that granting the requested variance will adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners. The subject property is surrounded by other commercial land uses. Uh, a reduced front setback would not restrict or remove their rights to continue operating their commercial land uses. The third criteria is whether the strict application of this code and its standards will constitute an unnecessary hardship upon the property owner. Staff does not believe that requiring conformance with the 25-foot front setback will interfere with the property owner's basic right of property ownership and will not deprive the owner of his property without compensation. The subject property and structure came into existence about six years ago as a fast order food drive-in use and has remained in continuous operation since that time. This indicates that conformance with the land development code will not constitute an unnecessary hardship. This may be a preferred design alternative for the applicant and may present a design challenge. However, it does not rise to the code defined standard of unnecessary hardship. The fourth criteria to consider is whether the desired variance will adversely affect the public health, safety, morals, order, convenience, prosperity, or general welfare. In staff's opinion, granting the proposed variance will not adversely affect those previously stated items. The request would be contained within the applicant's parcel. It would not create any spillover noxious effects to the surrounding area. The fifth and final criteria to consider is whether the desired variance will be opposed to the general spirit and intent of the code. Setbacks for, the structure, setbacks for structures in the CS Commercial Strip District 
are intended to perform a number of functions, and those are listed in the staff report. In this instance, providing the required 25-foot front setback is important to both vehicular and pedestrian safety within the Iowa Street right-of-way. The street is considered a principal arterial by the city's adopted transportation plan. Front setbacks provide a uniform building plane and ensure predictable sight lines are maintained. Additionally, the Land Development Code anticipates that some architectural features may extend into required setbacks. It provides an exception for canopies. However, it limits the encroachment to two feet as further encroachment may limit the efficacy of the required setback. With this exception, the applicant could install a canopy that extends partially into the setback without a variance. It would not cover the entire drive-through lane. However, it could provide shelter to the customers, uh, excuse me, to the customer service window and exterior employees near the existing structure. Finally, the subject property and structure came into existence under this current land development code and are fully compliant at this time. It is not the intent of the code to provide variances for compliant structures and properties. Since the writing of this staff report, um, we've received one communication from an adjacent property owner who um, expressed opposition to the requested variance. To conclude, staff recommends denial of the variance request to reduce the required front setback from 25 feet to 20 feet for the property addressed as 2735 Iowa Street. With that, I can stand for questions. Um, we have the applicant here tonight as well who will be able to answer questions and can provide comment as well. This is Chairperson Herod. Thank you, Luke. Um, does anybody have any questions for Luke at this time or staff? Uh, Board Member Clark. This is Board Member Clark. Question for staff. Uh, you, you mentioned the existing uh, maybe exception or rule for canopies extending two feet over uh, into the setback. Uh, can you speak at all to that magical number of two feet, the intent so, of that? Yeah, Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. That exception um, applies to a number of different architectural features. Um, it's Located in uh, Article 6 of our code. I think the idea is that the code understands that there are some architectural elements that won't negate the uh, the value of the setback if they do come into that setback. How we landed on two feet, I'm not totally sure. Um, I think it might be that that is a standard size for a roof eave or a bay window or that type of architectural feature. Thank you. Uh, and this is board member Clark and I do have one more question and I'm looking through, I'm trying to look through the, uh, the packet here and I see a lot of uh, plans, but I, I don't see an elevation of the proposed structure. Uh, and some of the photos of existing ones that they include uh, looks like it's, it's detached. Are you, are you aware if this is an attached or detached canopy? Luke Mortensen, Plan Development Services. Um, in our communications with the applicant, it was communicated that it would be attached to the structure. Since it's attached, that's why we're, um, we're working towards this variance. Because it, the, it's attached, the whole structure basically is in the setback, if that makes sense. Um, the applicant is here, so I think if you have any more questions about the actual design, you might hold off until they can speak to that. Thank you. 
Uh, this is Chairperson Herod, thank you. Does any other board member have any questions for staff? No, at this time I'd invite the applicant to uh, talk with us if you like. Yes, right there. Okay. Uh, good evening. My name is Donna Brown. I am with Interplan. I am representing Chick-fil-A. I also have two representatives from Chick-fil-A here with me this evening as well that can answer any additional questions. Um, so I would like to apologize for the confusion with the photographs that were included with the additional information. Um, we were trying to give you the kind of understanding of what it is that the canopies are trying to accomplish. So the one that is freestanding, that is actually over the order points, and the one that we're seeking a variance for is over the pickup window. Um, that's the order meal delivery canopy or the OMD canopy. So um, kind of to give you a little background, um, the team members during the peak times do go outside. Luke, we can't orders. hear. I'm sorry. Oh, I think you muted her. Oh. I'm sorry. Why don't, you, why don't you back up a little bit? I'm sorry about that, Travis. Can you hear now? Oh, yeah, we can hear you. So how far do I mean back just, up physically or back up? You were fine. We accidentally muted. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just just roll back like 20 seconds or something and just... Okay, so the intent was to kind of give you guys an overview of what the concept behind the canopy systems are. So during peak hours, team members are outside taking orders um, from the customers um, as they go through the drive-through. And then upon the time to be delivered their food at the pickup window, we also have team members that are outside that are actually hand-delivering um, the meals to the guests in the cars. So um, one of the things that, um, that there is an, an existing condition that's out there now that was not present at the time of the original site plan approval and the construction of this site is the fact that during peak hours when they are unable to be outside um, taking the orders in person um, they do stack up off-site um, and there is an exhibit in the information that you were given as well that indicates how it stacks up when the team members are not able to be outside which is when the weather is inclement um, so that is the reason for the canopies that we would like to install. Um, if we are unable to put the canopy up over the pickup window, then that will prevent them from being able to help alleviate the off-site traffic stacking issues um, that are existing. And so the proposed canopy size that it, we are proposing over the pickup window is actually the smallest size that we can possibly put there. Um, that accommodates for a two-foot walkway for the employees adjacent, you know, kind of parallel to that pickup window. Um, and then there'll be some delineators there to protect the employees, team members, as they're taking the um, delivering the orders and then the canopy system will then extend kind of past that halfway point for a car so that if it's raining snowing whatever the precipitation comes down and it rolls off away from the customer's open window as well as from the team members so it helps to protect them so um, to kind of make it a little less wide um, that will not do what we need it to do in order to allow the team members to be outside to kind of help pull the people through the drive-through a little bit quicker so in addition to that, um, I also tried to just kind of highlight a little bit um, about the different criteria. So the first one that, um, that the variance request arises from such conditions that are unique to the property in question and not ordinarily found in the same zone or district and are not created by an action or actions of the property owner or applicant. So there are limitations pertaining to this pickup window. Because of the way that the site is configured, 
we don't have any other options as to where we can put the pickup window canopy. Um, and then the existing conditions that are present on the site now contribute to the off-site queuing that has become the issues that we can't contain it on the site. And none of those conditions were present when the site was originally designed. And then, um, obviously, it's kind of a given. We, um, Mr. Mortensen had indicated the next two um, criteria we meet. Um, but in addition to that, the next two criteria, we actually are, um, are queuing off of our property, which does kind of you know, prohibit customers to the other businesses to get there in an easier manner. And then number four uh, is also, um, Mr. Mortison had said that we were com compliant with that one. And the granting of the variance desired will not be opposed to the general spirit and intent. Um, the proposed canopy is actually an open air structure other than the fact that it is attached to the building on one side. Um, the subject property is not located at an intersection. So therefore reducing the front setback for this property will not decrease any existing sight lines. Um, and the proposed canopy structure is actually very similar in design to the existing canopy that is over the pickup window right now. It's just that that canopy was designed to just protect the cars as the team members handed the food out of the pickup window. Again, what we're proposing is during peak hours having team members outside to try and facilitate a quicker process through the drive-through. Um, and again, the need for the proposed canopy is due to the increased drive-through traffic that is times is not able to be contained on site. And these conditions were not present at the time of the original site plan approval. So um, we are available to answer any other additional questions that you may have. Thank you. This is Chairperson Herod. Does any board member have any questions for uh, the applicant? Uh, Chair or <laughs> board member Clark. This is board member Clark uh, asking a question to the applicant. Uh, essentially the same question I had for staff, which was, uh, can you confirm that this, the intent is that this canopy structure would be attached to the primary building? That is correct. The order mail delivery canopy will be attached to the primary building. Okay, thank you. Mr. Chairperson Herod, if I can, I want to ask you a couple questions just for my situational awareness so I can kind of figure out what's going on. So it sounds like you want to put this canopy on so you can have your um, you can have your your personnel outside. It helps move traffic through faster. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And so, and it sounds like one of the reasons you want to get people outside to move traffic through faster is because you're doing good business. And so you want business to move through efficiently without stacking up in the adjacent parking spaces. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So here's a hypothetical for you. And if it's too wonky or whatever, just say so. All right. <laughs> it, won't, it won't make me, what were my feelings? Let's imagine Chick-fil-A is doing let's say you're doing half of the business that you're doing right now. So just cut it in half at that moment. Do you, at, in that situation, do you now need, do you feel the need still to get staff outside and then you know put a canopy in place and such to, to help them with their endeavors outside? Would it be that necessary at that point? That's right. Um, hi, my name is Brad Huff, chief play staff representing project as a whole across the country. Um, yes, I would say that is correct. We would still put team members outside. And the reason I would answer it that way. Is we have 
restaurant volumes from anywhere from $3 million to $15 million doing this exact same play with team members outside expediting meals to help customer experience. I think okay, so what you're so what you're telling me is whether you're doing you know three million dollars of business or you're doing five times that, your preference is to get staff outside, have them you know engage with your customers quickly and get them through. And this is the way that you like to do it. Is that it? I think that is one, but I also think it is customer expectations now. As we do it in one restaurant in South Carolina, we do it here in Kansas, we do it here in California, out in California. It is across the chain expectation, I would call it now, from a customer experience. Okay, thank you. Uh, anybody else on the board have any questions? Anybody? All right, well, if the board doesn't have any questions for the applicant. I, uh, I'm gonna, uh, this is board member Shalinsky, I'll ask one, is this, is this a change in your business model from like how things were done, say five years ago? Definitely, yes. Uh, so we started this program back in about 2018 um, to start installing canopies across the chain in freestanding restaurants similar to this. And so this is whether it is a existing restaurant, we wanna put these up, um, we, we go after it from a new store build perspective these are part of the, um, the actual install. They go up with a new restaurant every day. Um, and so this is something, yes, we have changed. Business has changed, demand has changed. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, customer experience has changed. Um, one comment that I would make is it is not installed from an architectural perspective, but truly a team member experience perspective. This is installed to protect the team members while they're out there expediting meals. In inclement weather, whether it's rain, snow, or heat. Um, here in this market, these canopies will be installed with fans and heaters to enhance that team member experience when it is cold or rainy or even hot. Um, and so this is a play across the country from a new store restaurant or a restaurant that's been in play for 20 years. Thank you. Can I add something to that? And this is Donna Brown again with Interplan. Um, mm -hmm. With what Brad had said, in addition to that, I mean, this gives an opportunity for Chick-fil-A to actually bring their um, their enhanced experience from the inside of the building to the outside of the building. Um, it was, it was um, a product of realizing that they needed a way in order to effectively do this, which is where the canopies came from. Um, and it helps them get that volume through quicker. Um, you know, as you, I'm sure you're all aware, the stacking off-site during peak times when they're not able to be outside can be contained better on-site with the canopies and with the team members out there. Thank you. This is Chairperson Herod. Does anybody else on the board have any questions? Do we have another, <laughs> we have another uh, person from the applicant? Go ahead. Yeah, hi, hello, my name is uh, Justin Heights. I am the local Chick-fil-A owner here in Lawrence, and uh, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce myself. Um, super grateful for all of y'all hearing um, our request this evening. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to say that my, my wife and my two sons, we live here in Lawrence. We employ 85 
85 team members here in the city of Lawrence, all residents of Douglas County. And at the end of the day, this play is about our customer experience. Um, we do this because we want to make sure we take care of our customers um, and serve them the best that we can. But the most important thing is taking care of our team. Um, and so that's why we're investing. We're trying to make this investment in these canopies is to take care of our 85 employees the best that we possibly can. Um, and we currently do a lot of things to do that, but this canopy will really allow us to, um, as everyone has said so far, enhance that and make sure they're taken care of um, when it's cold, when it's windy, when it's rainy, and that we can continue to serve our guests and um, not encroach on other businesses. So um, just really grateful for y'all's time and um, just wanted to introduce myself. Thank you. Thank you. This is Chairperson Harris. Does any other board member have any questions for the applicant? Chairperson, um, board member Falvey, um, if the canopy over the drive-through window were not attached to the building, would it still require a variance? Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. If it was not attached to the building, it would be considered an accessory structure, uh, and the code does not allow for accessory structures located in the front yard of a principal structure. Thank you. All right, thank you, Board Member Falvey. Uh, this is Chairperson Herod. Any other board members have anything for the applicant? All right, seeing none at this time, I'd open up to public comment. Is there anybody from the public that wants to comment on this agenda item? Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. There are no Zoom public comments, and there does not appear to be anybody in the city commission room. All right, thank you, Luke. This is Chairperson Herod. So at this time, I would bring this agenda item back to the board for analysis and discussion and action. Uh, board Member Clark. This is Board Member Chatty Cathy tonight, Clark. Um, this is more of a question for uh, for staff, you in your report, you alluded to a land development code for the uh, consideration of a two foot canopy that would extend over the uh, the setback line. Is that in and of itself? Is that a code item that can be could a, a variance request be made on that explicit code line as opposed to changing the setback? Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. Uh, Catherine, jump in if you have an idea. I, I don't think so. Yeah, but this is um, staff liaison, Catherine Week. So the cleanest way to do it is to adjust the setback because then it applies to anything, if it's eave, overhang, or anything else that would encroach past what is already accepted they would they wouldn't have to get down to the specifics. The cleanest way to do it is to is to ask for the variance um, for the setback itself, not to go into the definitions and what is accepted and not accepted um, in the exceptions list. If that makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Any other board member have any questions or any comment?
Um, yes, board member Shalinsky, there is currently um, a canopy over what I'm going to call the drive-through window, which I understand is a different business model. Um, but my question is, does that canopy um, encroach into the setback or would there be an additional two feet available for that structure? Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff. I would have to pull up the specific site plan. Um, I would imagine it either meets the setback or meets that two foot uh, encroachment if the site plan had has been approved and it's been approved under this current code. Thank you, board member Shalinsky. Uh, Catherine. Yeah, staff leaders, I'm Catherine Week. I think just to clarify, this canopy is, is larger and it does extend out farther. Um, in, in my memory and reviewing it initially, um, the existing canopy was within um, the uh, setback itself. It did not encroach into the setback. And that this, this canopy, there is additional room there for the canopy to get larger, but this particular proposal is that space plus an encroachment into the setback. So it, it is growing um, to where it does encroach the setback beyond the exception. Thank you, Catherine. This is Chairperson Herod. Does anybody have anything else? I see something to answer that Luke Morrison, Planning Development Service staff. Chair Herod, the applicant would like to make one more comment if you'd like to um, open public comment back up again. Um, or could I just ask him what his comment is? Yes, you can, <laughs> yes, you can do that. This is Chairperson Herod, and I'm looking at looking at you, Brad. Uh, what, what do you need to tell me? In general terms, in the existing awning that is over the window, it generally is approximately five to six feet out from the building. The canopy structure that we're proposing is approximately nine feet out from the building. So that, if that gives you gives you an idea of how large versus the existing awning over a window is. Thank you. All right, so we're back to the board. Does anybody else have any comment or analysis or an action that you want to take? Uh, board member Clark. This is board member Clark. And I just, uh, some analysis on the situation. It would be just that like, it's, it's hard for me to get past the, that this is not a, um, due to an action on behalf of the client or on behalf of the applicant. Uh, it, it almost feels like it's on behalf of their customers, like the applicant is doing so well uh, that they are having to kind of extend beyond what they originally planned for six years ago, um, which I think is great. And I, I don't like that this feels punitive uh, for a business in Lawrence succeeding and doing well, uh, but I have a hard time that this was not brought on by the applicant. This is Chairperson Herod, and I'm going to um, jump on um, Board Member Clark's analysis there, where I'm looking right at, you know, rule number one, the, the variance request arises from such conditions that are 
unique to the property in question, not ordinarily found in the same zone or district and are not created by the action or actions of the property owner applicant. And I think what board member Clark says is right on point, which is I don't like to, I don't like to put up barriers in front of a, a business that's doing well and has figured out a way to do even better. You know, they've shown up, they've nationally figured out a better way to engage with their customers and also, you know, for their staff to be more efficient and that's great. But at the same time, you know, we've bumped right into, you know, our code and our code just isn't allowing them to do what they would like to do in order to, you know, run their business in a way they found that's more efficient. And so, um, I have a problem with, with number one. I do just like, I think board member Clark is board member Clark. This is board member Clark following up. And, and another challenge that I, that I see is that these, um, these variances go with the land and that this isn't a, a one-time use case where a successful fast food establishment is, uh, extending their customer service. Uh, but that's, this is something that now would stick with the property and the land in perpetuity, um, which I understand per staff's comment that this was the smoothest and easiest way to get to this point. Um, but but by golly, if there was a variance coming to me that said uh, something along the lines of uh, a variance on the definition of that two foot marker to be whatever it is that you're proposing, uh, I, I would have much less of a challenge Um much less of a challenge on granting a variance for the definition of what a canopy extension is um, just because that seems so less uh, intense than a permanent setback. Thank you, board member Parks. Any other board member have anything for us? Any action or analysis? Uh, Chair Herod, Luke Morrison. Development services staff. I'll just, uh, two items, I'll just quickly answer uh, board member Clark's comment there. Once you do start getting into those definitions, you kind of begin to get into text amendment territory. Um, and that would be a, a different body. That would be then the planning and city commissions considering that sort of item. Uh, we do have the applicant uh, who has, would like to make one final statement. Um, if Chair Herod, if you'd like to hear that. Sure. Uh, Ms. Brown, go ahead and, and tell me what you got on your mind. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you have a vehicle for this or not, but Chick-fil-A would be more than willing to um, go on the record as saying that if they were granted a variance for this canopy structure, that it would only apply to the canopy structure. And if by chance, which we don't ever expect this to happen, but if Chick-fil-A were no longer to occupy that, that property, that they would remove the canopy and the variance for the canopy within the setback would go away with the canopy. And then that way we're not, you know, it's not a variance that's being granted that will run with the land. It's a variance that's being granted to specifically allow this encroachment into the setback. Ms. Brown. Um, Luke, this is Chairperson Herod. So on the one hand, the applicant is saying, you know, we'd take the canopy with us if we left, um, and I definitely appreciate that. I think there's a couple issues. Is one, there's not really an enforcement mechanism that if you know if such time came that they wanted to move to another location. I mean, I mean, 
if they didn't take the canopy with them, the only way to make them remove it is, you know, what refer back to the minutes of these, the minutes of this meeting, which aren't really binding, I don't think. Um, and also, correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, but the subsequent or succeeding property owner, that variance would still be there as long as they wanted to do something with it again, you know, before what we got into the issue of abandonment, right? Is that how it would work? Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. Catherine Jumping, because I saw your hand was up, but you're correct, Chair, that the variance does run with the land. It would be available to a future property owner or a future user. Right. But I certainly appreciate the applicant, you know, trying to, um, you know, work around the issue here in front of us. But it just, the problem is, is the variance sits there and even if the canopy was taken away, you know, the succeeding property owner could build something right in that spot as long as it happened before the variance was abandoned by law, which what is, what is that period of time of non-use where it would be abandoned, Luke or Catherine? So once a variance has been granted, um, there is a two-year a two period basically where they have to pull a building permit for said variance to do the development that they requested the variance for. Right. If that development doesn't occur, then the variance is considered abandoned. And just to clarify and kind of put it in layman's terms, the city code is not structured in such a way. I mean, it's based on state statute, and the city code is not structured in a way where variances are temporary in nature, meaning they leave once that tenant or landowner removes whatever from the property. Variances, once they're granted, do in fact stick it, so to speak, to the land, and that that's where they stay. So, yeah. This is chairperson here. Thank you, Catherine. Um, is there any other comment analysis from the board? Does anybody want to make a motion on this item? Board Member Lincoln, um, I feel like most of us want to maybe make a motion and. I feel like we're leaning towards denying the variance. Uh, board member Rankin, do you want to put that in the form of a motion? Yeah, sorry. Um, board member Rankin, I'd like to motion to deny the variance. All right. So board member Rankin has moved to deny the variance request. Is there a second for board member Rankin's motion? Board member Falvey, I'll second that. All right, it's been moved and seconded to deny the variance. Uh, staff, I'd ask you to call the roll on board member Rankin's motion. Certainly, Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff, a motion to deny. Clark? Aye. Falvey? Aye. Herod? Aye. Rankin? Aye. Shalinsky. Aye. A motion to not a motion to deny passes five to zero. Thank you, Luke. All right. Looks like we'll move on to our second agenda item for the evening. And this is going to be item number two, which looks like it's 
B-21-00206. I'd ask the staff to present. Good evening, board members, Catherine Weeks, staff liaison. I am presenting item number two on your agenda. This is a request uh, from a variance from 601A for rear setback. Uh, the request is located at 1223 Iowa Street. Um, and this is a particular request um, that's being triggered by a associated platting and zoning application. Uh, the reason for the request um, is that the development code requires a yard uh, opposite of the street. So regardless of where the building is oriented, it's based on the definition of rear and front yard lot lines. Um, and that is measured from opposite of street side, which would be Iowa in this case. And the applicant is requesting a reduction uh, for their proposed zoning district, which is going from uh, RS7 PD, which is a PD overlay, to RSO, which is single family or single dwelling residential office district. Um, and that zoning district, the RSO, uh, does require a 20 foot rear setback. Now, any variance action that we take on this item tonight, uh, regardless of the outcome, is contingent upon their successful completion of their rezoning application, which is um, gone before the planning commission and scheduled for city commission uh, for final approval via ordinance. So the property is in the process of being rezoned to the RSO district. And so this, chair, this is chairperson Harrod, and just for point of clarification, I just want to be make sure I understand. So the applicant needs to get the property rezoned, but if it is rezoned, then the applicant also needs to come to us for a variance because of that zoning. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, thank you. And I mean, they can take it in the order of completing the rezoning and then coming before the board for the uh, variance request, or they can take it concurrently, which is kind of what they're doing, that they're bringing it to all the boards simultaneously, basically. So sure. that's what you're seeing it this evening, but that's it is upon the RSO zoning change. And so in reviewing the criteria, the five criteria, the first one being whether or not this request is unique to the property, unique conditions that is uh, triggered by platting or zoning, and not due to the applicant's actions. And staff found that even though the applicant is initiating a redevelopment project that includes planning and zoning, um, it, the applicant is also responding to those planning and zoning restrictions, regardless of the type of development that would need to take place on this property, even if they were to um, rehabilitate the existing single structure, single family dwelling that was there, they would still be required to pull or get the property platted to pull a building permit. So platting action is required. The rezoning action is not necessarily required, but in this case, the applicant is attempting to rezone and plat the property in accordance with the comprehensive plan and the area uh, for which um, it is located. So staff did find that this particular property is unique um, and it is being triggered by platting and zoning uh, restrictions that the applicant is attempting to respond to. Um, criteria two is whether or not it has adverse effects on neighboring properties. Staff's opinion is that it does not adversely affect neighboring properties. Um, staff is of the opinion the applicant is trying to respond to similar zoning and development that is occurring on neighborhood properties 
and all of the action is taking place on this individual lot. Um, it is not anything that's bleeding over into uh, other properties in the area. Criteria three, that being whether um, this is an unnecessary hardship. Um, staff and staff may not always fall uh, on criteria three in the same way, but in this particular one, in this context, staff found that this could rise to the level of un, um, unnecessary hardship. And in fact, that adhering to the strict language of the code may in fact create a hardship for the applicants uh, based on similar zoning and platting in the area. And that this is an infill lot trying to respond to those platting and zoning conditions. While the staff did not agree with all of the applicants' arguments um, for unnecessary hardship, staff does acknowledge that there are some hardships that are created specifically to the faculty zoning action taking place um, and that the applicant is trying to respond to those. So it could in fact deny the applicant of similar development activity uh, for this particular parcel, that other parcels in this particular area zoning and um, similarly platted um, would entertain or could have. Criteria four, that the variance um, desired would not adversely help uh, affect health, public safety, or morals, convenience, um, et cetera. Staff found um, that it would not have an adverse effect on those items and that it met criteria four. And staff's uh, consideration of criteria five, whether or not it meant the intent and general spirit of the code, um, staff found that granting this setback variance would not be opposed to general spirit and intent of the code. Um, and granting the variance request is similar um, and consistent to previous findings at the board. Um, and in this particular case, the applicant is trying to respond to that intent of the code, not only um, for this particular code section, but other code sections as well. So I would be happy to stand for any questions or clarify any of the criteria that you may have. This is Chairperson Herod. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine, I need to walk us back one step. So I just want to make sure there's not a jurisdictional issue here because what we're being asked to do is preemptively grant a variance to zoning that doesn't yet exist. And so what I'm wondering is, does the Board of Zoning Appeals have jurisdiction right now to even consider zoning that doesn't exist at, at the applicant's property right now? Well, so uh, staff did clarify with our legal, legal office um, and with the planning director. Um, and we, we do feel that you do have jurisdiction, um, being that the zoning action would be contingent upon that completion of that zoning application. Do you remember anything like this coming through previously? Not to my immediate knowledge. Um, I know that I, I do seem to have a hint of a memory bef just before I was doing BZA that there may have been a case with similar a similar contingency based on action of platting. Um, but I don't have the specifics in front of me. I could certainly get that sure. to you if, you if you need that information. Okay. All right, uh, any other board members have anything for staff? Um, board member Shalinsky, with regard to um, one and three, the uniqueness and the hardship, 
as I always do, I went to the area to have a look around and um, I'm kind of having a hard time seeing it in the way that it was described. What I saw were um, a series uh, on the west side of Iowa Street for, you know, a few blocks, um, a series of um, single-family houses on large lots on the west side of Iowa Street. Now, you know, a couple blocks away, there were like uh, some commercial office uses and um, some duplexes, but right there in the immediate vicinity, this property was just like everything around it. Um, and so, it, you know, people have the right to um, seek a zoning change and to change uses, but that doesn't necessarily make the property unique. And the staff analysis said that there were ways that the property could be developed or redeveloped that would be compliant. So um, I'm not seeing the argument that denial could be considered arbitrary and capricious. I could just as easily see where granting it could be considered arbitrary and capricious. So if anyone would like to respond to that, um, that's what I'm having trouble with here. Thank you, board member Shalinsky. Uh, Catherine, can you, can you respond to that? Sure. I, I think, I think there was a question in there somewhere. So, um, the immediate property to the north is already zoned RSO, um, as are the properties north of that particular property. The property immediately north of it is not an office now. I believe it's a single dwelling. But the property, one property north of that and several north of it are already commercial entities. They may um, look like former single-family dwellings, but they are commercial endeavors. There are residential properties um, further north of that, and there are some south of that, um, this particular lot. Most of the residential single dwelling units are to the west. Um, the unique piece about this, this property is it's currently zoned RS7PD, which is a, a planned development overlay district on top of the RS7. And it was developed with properties to the south as one planned development type district and would develop accordingly, similarly, all those properties to the south. That development did not happen the way that it was planned out. And there, there's a church um, in that property and there are some large single family lots further south of that church. There's also some open uh, vacant land in that area that is um, difficult to develop. So it hasn't developed to this particular date currently. That PD overlay district 
is not really suitable anymore. And so this property is trying to zone into a conventional zoning district without the PD overlay. And in response to that, the RSO district is what similar properties north of it um, are zoned along the Iowa corridor, which is why this particular property owner has chosen that RSO zoning district. I don't know if that got to the heart of your question and if you need more clarification on how this particular property is unique, I can kind of get into more detail, but that's the gist of it. Thank you, Catherine. I think it provides the board more situational awareness. Um, this is Chairperson Hare. Does any other board member have any questions for staff? All right, seeing none, um, I'd ask if the applicant is present and want to present to the board. Uh, yes, Dean Grove with Grove Engineering, uh, property owner as well. Um, I, I think Kevin did a good job of kind of explaining it, uh, some parts of it. Um, to back up a little bit, you know, when we first started looking at uh, better utilization infill development for this property, um, kind of knew that, that only having the one frontage without having the multiple access points created a little bit of a problem. and and looked at either an alley or a street uh, so that that Iowa Street would become like an exterior side yard so that then the north would be the rear and, and these would be the side. Um, you know, uh, staff and, and MSO did not want, you know, any access that would provide future access to the property behind it, which my family owns, and it would be developed from coming from the right west of University Drive and Oxford Road. Um, so I just, you know, came up with a plan of how do we put something in there that still has a frontage. Uh, that's when I came up with the access easement. Um, you know, so it's it's a, a little bit of since I don't have two frontages, but I can't access it all. Then I had to turn the units to have a kind of a north-south orientation. Um, part of that is because there's sewer along the the north side and there's water line along the south as it presently exists. Um, again, the hardship if you uh, look at it in the way I'm proposing the houses to sit, you'd have a 25 foot front and then a 20 foot rear, which really is on the side of the building, uh, then another five foot, I guess a five foot front, and then another 20 foot rear. So you're getting these incredibly wide side yards, you know, when the house is not proposed to be oriented that way. Um, one thing that I have said, and I, I would gladly do it, is, um, and, and it could be with a plat, would be a 20-foot side yard on the north side of the property where the backyards are really going to be so that, hey, you need you want a backyard, that's where it would be. Um, from that standpoint, I will say um, this item was on the planning commission packet. It was one of the variances, but then was pulled because staff said, well, it's really more of a, uh, a question for this board. Um, but planning commission voted uh, unanimously for both the platting and the rezoning, knowing that this item, this part of the item was 
coming to you. Um, so they didn't have any reservation that, hey, wait a minute, are we going to do this without theirs? Um, I, I, and, and, and then if this is turned down, I suppose I'd have to go back to the planning stage and look at a different configuration on the lots. Um, you know, so getting that without both really doesn't doesn't do me any good. So um, again, it was um, to me more so just a being able to use Iowa as a like an exterior uh, side yard frontage oriented the houses so that there really isn't a reduction in the setback per se. It's just they more match the orientation of the house because of the one access restriction and inability to you know provide an access there that then it could be the the front yard so um i mean i, I, I yeah I, I i struggle with the hardship well you know there's always something else it's just my brother and i own this property and getting their retirement and looking for a little retirement income um and the house that's there um is in dire need of repairs the foundations you know, uh, it's a 30,000 square foot lot. So putting a, you know, a small house on a 30,000 30, square foot lot doesn't, you know, kind of comply with the comprehensive plan that says, you know, where you can densify and infill, you should do it. So I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Grove. This is Chairperson here. Does any board member have any questions for the applicant? All right, I'm not seeing any. I'll uh, bring it back then. Oh no, actually, uh, is there any public comment on this issue, staff? Luke Morrison, Planning and Development Services Department. I'm not seeing any Zoom public comment and there's nobody in the city commission room either. All right, thank you, Luke. This is Chairperson Hare. Then I'll bring the item back to the commission for discussion analysis and action. Anyone, anyone have any thoughts? Board member Clark, what do you want to do? What are you thinking? This is board member Clark feeling like he's talked too much, so. <laughs> Chair welcomes any and all comments, actions, motions from board member Clark and the other valued board members here tonight. This is board member Falvey. Um, I'll make a motion to deny the request for the variance. Um, that it doesn't meet all five conditions. All right, board member Falvey has made a motion to deny the request for the variance. Is there a second for board member Falvey's motion to deny? All right, I do not see a second for that motion and thusly the motion to deny will 
die for lack of a second. So, does any board member want to try to go the other way? Or do you want to walk through the five um, factors? This is board member Clark. Um, board member Fowley, would you mind maybe uh, walking us through some of your process there and, and see if that helps folks align or not align with your motion? Board member Falvey, um, it's that number one um, condition that I'm having trouble with them not meeting. Um, staff does talk through um, that there's other ways to redevelop the lot um, under the proposed platting and zoning. Um, and that's kind of where my hang up was, is condition number one. And this is Chairperson Herod. Let me throw something out there and staff will, um, I'll invite them in a moment to weigh in if I get anything wrong. And we have a property, it's clearly Central Lawrence, I mean, it's right on Iowa Street. I would point out that our newest comprehensive plan, Plan 2040 does place a strong emphasis on infill development um, rather than expansion development. This is clearly infill development. We are redeveloping um, a piece of property, but it sounds like that piece of property is in need of redevelopment. And I'll also point out something that our new comprehensive plan 2040, which was approved, I think a little over a year ago, also places a strong emphasis on affordable housing. And when I see townhome, it's, um, you know, I think, the applicant is looking at using this as rental income, but it's also conceivable that these townhomes will come onto the open market again at some point and could be um, starter properties for somebody, um, affordable entry-level housing. So on its face, there's a couple things about this agenda item that I think would find favor with our comprehensive plan. Now, does our comprehensive plan direct the Board of Zoning Appeals specifically? No, not directly, but it is something we can be situationally aware of. Was Catherine, Catherine, yeah, go ahead. Was any of that directed at staff to clarify or was there a question in there or were you no there was no question there <laughs> but if you have something you would like to inform us i'd invite you to do it well no i i did i would like to add though that you know staff's role is to um consider and weigh all of those things when we are doing our analysis and make sure that it meets that five criteria and um while directly the bza's role is not necessarily to consider necessarily all of the things like planning commission and city commission would consider. I would say it is certainly in your purview to weigh the criteria with 
the intent and um, desire and goals of the code, which is what those criteria are trying to guide you to do. So there are instances where um, the letter of the, of the code, which staff is trying to point out, may in fact limit how um, the applicant can respond to the other code goals and uh, criteria that they're trying to meet as well, which I think is what staff was trying to put before you in the staff report, so. Thank you, Catherine. Any other board member have anything? Oh, we've got the applicant. Um, Mr. Grove, tell me what's on your mind. Uh, yes, I just wanted to follow up uh, the drawing uh, that is on page five of your report. Uh, Catherine provided uh, some red shading, which uh, indicated the setbacks as they presently exist. Well, I was a little confused about this, but I think what has happened, if you look at that red shading, it, it, I think it got slid to the front. Um, if it, in that drawing, if it was moved to where the red met the west property line, the clear areas are the buildable areas based on the, the setbacks. Uh, so you can tell um, the two white areas become quite small, the clear areas in that drawing, kind of where the townhomes are shown. Again, I think, and Catherine, correct me if I'm, uh, I think she did it right. It just may have gotten slid at some point inadvertently, uh, but she's showing the setbacks the way they will exist right now. And, you know, from terms of hardship, you see the red is, is, is quite extensive in terms of this property if you uh, do in fact, you know, uh, impose those uh, as shown. Uh, as I did say, um, I have no issues with increasing the uh, set back along the north property line, which Catherine, correct me if I'm not wrong, mistaken, that could be put on the plat. So it goes with the land that uh, you're achieving that rear yard setback based on the alignment. but. Again, Catherine, if I'm misunderstanding, but I, I I looked at that for, and I just realized that I think the red has been shifted, but it does, the non-red areas definitely do show the house footprint of the buildable area. Yeah, so I will confirm that what that visual is trying to convey is as the plat was proposed before the planning commission and as um, it goes, continues to process those lot configurations. Um, yes, that, that shaded red area is what basically would be the setbacks moving forward um, with that particular lot configuration. And that lot configuration is in response to, yes, trying to do infield development with two lots as opposed to one large lot, but also responding to those code and plat restrictions for access, direct access onto Iowa and maintaining the existing um, curb cut and access point that is already on Iowa Street without um, having to take another access point. In fact, another access point would not be permitted at all. So um, they, they are responding to development in a way that plat restrictions are restricting them in doing so. That's where staff was going, and that's what staff was trying to show in that um, visual, basically how those setbacks to the letter of the code would be impacting those two lots. So, Thank you, Catherine. This is Chairperson Herod. 
Does any other board member have any comment or analysis or action? This is board member Rankin. Um, can, can we just pull the um, board and see kind of where they're thinking on this since there's not been a lot of discussion? Why don't you just, why don't you go ahead and, and pose that poll in the form of a motion <laughs> and we'll find out real quick where the, where the board is on this issue. All right, board member Rankin, uh, I'd like to Motion to pull the board on where they stand on this variance. Pull the board. <laughs> why don't you just just why don't we why don't we just go ahead and try the motion to approve uh, variance as why don't we go ahead and do it that way? I mean, because the votes are either there or they're not. All right, All right. Um, board member Rankin, motion to approve the variance. All right, as recommended by staff. All right, so. Board member Rankin has moved to approve the variance as recommended by staff with the caveats regarding the expected rezoning by the planning commission. With that in mind, is there a second for Mr. Board member Rankin's motion? This board is, member Clark, I'll second that. All right, it's been moved and seconded. I'd ask staff to call the roll. Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services, a motion to approve the variance as stated by uh, Member Rankin. Clark. Aye. Salvi. Aye. Herod. Aye. Rankin. Aye. Shalinsky. Nay. A motion to approve passes three to two. Thank you, Luke. All right. Um, I would um, suggest this before we move on to agenda item three, which is an appeal. And I believe we have uh, Mr. Watkins here tonight to uh, help walk us through um, the appeal. Does anybody need to take a five minute recess to get a drink of water or, or use the restroom or anything like that before we dive in? Uh, Board Member Clark. Yeah, I would take you up on that offer. Okay. And I think Board Member Falvey is also. Uh, Luke, do we need to have a motion to recess for five minutes or can the chair just recess us for five minutes? You'll need a motion. Yeah. Okay. Board Member Clark, will you help me out? <laughs> This is board member Clark uh, making a motion that we take a uh, four minute recess until the eight o'clock strike of the hour. <laughs> okay. Uh, board been, member Falvey, I'll second that. All right, it's been moved and seconded. Luke, will you call the roll? Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services, a motion to take a short break. Clark? Aye. Falvey? Aye. Barrett? Aye. Rankin? Aye. Shalinsky? Aye. Enjoy your break. <laughs> Thank you. I'll gavel us back in. Yeah, just after eight or something. I'm back. Oh, there she is. 
<laughs> okay. Well, the break we took was very propitious because my kids need to know the Netflix sign in. So that would have been, that would have gotten rowdy if I hadn't been able to give that to them in a timely fashion. So I appreciate your indulgence. Um, Luke, can we just gavel in? I think we can just gavel in without a vote, right? Yes, I believe so. Go ahead. All right. We uh, are back in session. The board, city board of <laughs> city of Lords board of zoning appeals, and we're moving to agenda item three tonight, which is an appeal of staff decision. I believe it's B dash twenty one dash zero zero one nine three. And I would ask staff to start us off. Okay, I'm going to give you just a, this is Catherine Week, staff liaison, just a quick, um, since we're changing gears here a little bit, this is an administrative appeal and not a variance application. Uh, just a quick reminder on the protocols for administrative appeals. Um, as the Board of Zoning Appeals, this comes before you. Uh, your action options are you can reverse um, the administrative determination, you can affirm wholly or in part the administrative determination, or you can modify a decision, or you can ask for additional information and bring it back before the board if you do not have enough addition, enough information to make a determination. Um, also, one other item of protocol, you know, staff will be talking about the administration determination, but um, as an administrative appeal item, um, the onus is on the applicant to uh, present their evidence and show you that staff uh, did uh, make an error in their determination. And so this um, item of appeal brought before you by the appellant is regarding the decision that staff made determining that under the design guidelines for the Aiton Penn Neighborhood Redevelopment Zone, um, which supersedes the development uh, land development code regulations, that properties within this district are required to share parking throughout the district. So the applicant brought this appeal uh, before the board. They said they, in response to a written determination by the director of planning, uh, they did file the appeal. That appeal was received in our office, I believe in late May. And I think it was around the 27th. And so staff um, is happy to walk through uh, some of the items that were in the written determination and also the reason why staff is upholding their determination and asking the board find that staff did not err in their determination that uh, parking is to be shared throughout this district. This is Chairperson Herod. Thank you, Catherine. Why don't we go ahead and let the appellant start us off and um, guide us through this appeal and then we can return and hear from staff if we need follow-up. Yeah, thank you, Board Member Herod. My name is Patrick Watkins. I'm an attorney here in Lawrence. I represent Tony Kresnick, uh, who is also on the call. Um, he's the primary developer in the Warehouse Arts District. Um, if it suits the board, uh, I'd like to provide uh, some information for your consideration. I'd like to lead Mr. Kresnick through some questioning, um, and I'd, I'd like to make us available for any questions or commentary that the board may have following our presentation. And certainly uh, would invite the staff's input uh, following our uh, presentation. 
This is Chairperson Herod. I don't have any objection to that. Does anybody else have any objection to proceeding in that fashion? I don't think so. Go ahead, Mr. Watkins. Thank you very much. To be clear, this appeal is not specifically about one property. It's not about Penn Street loss, and it's not about exempting any particular property from the requirements of the code. Uh, this appeal is related to an interpretation of the code uh, for the entire district. The city planning director has relied upon one paragraph of the design guidelines on page 14. In cre He's created an unprecedented and exceptionally burdensome land use control. He's determined that off-street parking must be held open for the public. There's no dedication of land like you would see on most public parking lots. There's no use or maintenance agreements like you might see in commercial strip properties. There's no easement or document filed at the Register of Deeds. We look at that singular paragraph and the rest of the design guidelines and we can't find any words or phrases that would support the policy that the planning director has created. And so we have a disagreement about what the guidelines say. Under the code, as Catherine has, has mentioned, the Board of Zoning Appeals is the proper authority to review the planning director's determination and to decide how that paragraph should be interpreted. The code says that the BZA can step into the shoes of the planning director and make the, the decision that the planning director is entitled to make. As Catherine mentioned, your scope and your authority is broad. So we're here today under these circumstances, and this is not a variance or hardship request. This is an application for an interpretation. It applies to the entire East Lawrence redevelopment zone, and we appreciate your attention on this important issue. There are rules for the interpretation of the code. The code itself provides some simple guidance. It says words must be read literally. Regulation is no more or strict than stated. In other words, the regulation of the code is created by the words of the code. And those words shall have their ordinary meaning. Kansas courts also provide guidance on this review. Kansas courts have determined that municipal ordinance should be interpreted under the same rules that statutes are interpreted. We've got plenty of case law on the interpretation of statutes, all of which favors a strict plain language rule of interpretation. The primary canon of statutory interpretation is that if the language of the regulation is plain and unambiguous, there's no search for some other purpose or meaning. If the words are clear, there's no need to go beyond and create new meaning. Under Kansas law, we're not free to speculate. We cannot read into, new, in, into regulation new language that's not readily available. It's the BZA's duty to apply these rules today in determining if the design guidelines are being properly applied in East Lawrence. So what is at issue? The planning director's interpretation is that the design guidelines require that off-street parking be held open for public use. The planning director calls this policy a shared parking arrangement for off-street parking. According to the planning department, this policy is only enforced when off-street parking spaces in the district are brought up to the city standards through a site plan. In this case, as the properties in the district have developed, on and off street parking has been added. Uh, we submitted a map, which is the last page of the packet. It shows city owned parking in blue 
It shows off-street parking in green. Street parking was paid for by developers largely under their site planning with the city. You can note that the polar box is blue. It's because it's a city-owned parking lot. It, that ownership occurred as part of the development agreement on that parcel. I've actually come to learn that there's, there's a newer, um, and Catherine can confirm this later, but there is another property that we didn't include that may have a, a special use or site plan. Um, it'd be on the southwest corner of the, of the 800 Pennsylvania Street. So what is shared parking arrangement for off-street parking? This is a remarkable land use control. And we're not aware of any policy similar within the city of Lawrence or elsewhere. It calls for public occupation of private property without any other regulation or guidance on that particular relationship. There's no easement, there's no dedication, there's no document filed at the Register of Deeds. We know that public parking arrangements are usually created in a number of other ways. It can be created through a dedication to the city where the city takes over burdens of ownership like at Polar Lofts under an agreement. The city owns that parking lot or the public parking can be created through a shared parking agreement or covenant commonly seen at commercial properties. It can be created through any other type of agreement which contemplates the burdens of ownership, costs and the resources needed to enable public use. Oftentimes these are going to be filed of record at the Register of Deeds. The director's determination is not like any of these typical types of public parking arrangements. Under the planning director's policy, a property owner that creates off-street parking will be required to carry all of the burdens of ownership, monitoring the parking, maintaining it with the design guidelines, resurfacing, striping, insuring it, paying property taxes, but that parking will be utilized the same as city-owned street parking, entitling any user to access and occupy the space. In a busy district, this is critically important because parking is an essential aspect of any development concept in any business. Property owners will be forced to somehow bear the cost and risk of uninvited users with no recourse, no benefit. And for a range of reasons, we do not believe that the design guides, guidelines actually created or even intended to create such a burdensome land use control. Our position is stated in the letter that we submitted to the board It's part of the packet. It contains a letter from my firm. It contains a letter from Mr. Kresnick. It also contains a letter from an attorney named Corb Maxwell, who was involved in the drafting of the guidelines for the original developer. Several of the points included in our submission ought to be re reiterated at this point. The phrase shared parking or district-wide parking offered and relied upon by the planning director and their interpretation of the guidelines are simply not found in the parking section or elsewhere in the design guidelines. It cannot be re-emphasized enough. Those words are not in the design guidelines. A shared parking arrangement for off-street parking regulation would be entirely different than all of the other regulations that are found in the design guidelines. All other regulations, like actual regulations, are easily able to meet the rules of interpretation. They're clear. They must be so that they can be followed. They're enforceable with an explanation on how they may be enforced. The regulations in the design guidelines include the word shall, and they're not difficult to understand. They provide the guidance needed to enforce the regulation. 
And notably, they do not require public occupation of private property. By and large, the design guideline regulations instruct the developers on how their property should be used and oftentimes rehabilitated. The planning director's rationale for shared parking is flawed because the guidelines simply allow for a reduction in the parking requirement. We have the statement of Corb Maxwell. Again, he was involved in the writing of the guidelines. His statement is clear. The guidelines do not support or create a shared parking obligation. If a shared parking requirement was intended, it would have been written in the guidelines. And he goes on to say that the guidelines merely reduce the parking requirement. They do not exchange, they are not in exchange for more off-street parking burdens. The intention for reduced parking is achieved because shared parking is already occurring in the district. I, this is an important note um, that notwithstanding the planning director's determination, shared parking is occurring within the district. There are over 100 city-owned street spaces, plus there are city-owned parking spaces in polar lofts. There are mixed-use buildings happening and being encouraged to happen by the design guidelines on individual properties, and those benefit from shared users. Shared parking does not mean that it is all under the same control. Shared parking is achieved in multiple ways through multiple users in the district. And shared parking is also occurring through leases, mutually beneficial arrangements between property owners outside of the director's policy. I have Tony Kresnick on the call. I'd like to lead him through some questioning. Tony, can you hear me? I can, Pat. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tony, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the board and, and let them know a little bit about your development in the Warehouse Arts District? Yeah, my name's Tony Kresnick. Um, I, I think I know quite a few of you on the call. Uh, started developing the area commonly known as the Warehouse Arts District about nine years ago. Um, although I live 45 minutes away in Kansas City, um, Lawrence, probably four or five days a week. But, um, you know, I'd also like to start off by uh, thanking city staff, um, you know, specifically, you know, Mary Britt, Diane, Jeff, Catherine, everybody involved. None of, none of this would have been possible without the help of you all over the last, you know, shoot, probably starting 10 years ago. And this is not a, a knock or anything ugly. It's just something that we need to get um, cleaned up here. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I get what we're here talking about and I'll try to be brief. Um, I've got 10 years of information. Feel free to interrupt me at every time. But, um, you know, I'm very well, I'm obviously very aware of, of these guidelines. Um, in many regards, they've worked against us literally for the last 10 years. And I, I think it's important to note that they were contemplated and, you know, shared parking. I can't really assure you that I heard that term before Mary and I had a conversation, you know, back in March or April. Um, but I can tell you that shared parking was just simply a calculation to be used as a, as a vehicle to reduce parking. And according to Mary, I, I believe it was Mary, this goes all the way back to when Bo Harris essentially controlled the entire district. And it was just a way, Hey, how do, how do we get around our own code um, without asking for a variance or might not be the right term, code modification request, and here we are. Although, if you take a look generally at the area called the Warehouse Arts District, sure, I probably control 70 to 75% of it, but the problem is 
is that there's others and I think they've done a great job and I'm, and I'm happy that, that, they're, that they're there. I'm glad I don't own 100% of it, but there's others there that, that you know, that makes this, you know, shared agreement more complicated. So anyway, Pat, I'll, I'll let you ask whatever you want. Sure. Um, when you first became involved in the district, um, were you familiar with the design guidelines? How, how did you become familiar with those? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big document. Um, I, you know, I, I probably read it 15 times and, you know, can't tell you all of the big points, but, you know, started off with polar lofts. In fact, I think maybe with the exception of nine Dell lofts we've worked with, or in many regards, uh, around these guidelines with city staff. Um, and, you know, again, I, I've all, we, we've always known, and, you know, I, I, I hope this doesn't get me in hot water, but four, three, four months ago, when I, after I talked to Mary, Jeff Crick and I even talked on the phone and, you know, Mary and her staff was much more familiar with him, but, you know, he even said, Tony, I think that this is just in calculation only just as all of us did. And now, um, you know, we're, we're in hot water here. And I think, you know, probably one of the, the biggest areas that will come up during the discussion is it's not lawful with affordable housing guidelines to use low income housing tax credit dollars to provide parking for anybody other than those on our property, which is why, you know, when we brought up the determination to all of the attorneys at the tax credit investor, Mark Nelson, who's a third party auditor who does this project, everybody just simply states, well, well, no, you can't do that. The city can't do that. Is there a covenant? Is there a deed? And as soon as, you know, we just answer those questions, no, this is the first we've heard of this. They all just say, well, you know, let us, let us know if we need to step in. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm very familiar with the guidelines until recently. I've not been aware that anybody has thought that there was any shared parking. And just to give you a quick idea um, of the parking that I do not own in the district that is not literally access to the public. Um, bon Bon, I believe they have eight spots. Um, and the new Tortilla Factory, that fantastic building that was just redeveloped at 9th in Pennsylvania, I believe they have maybe 12 spots. Everything else I'm a part of, or I own, control, partner, whatever you want to call it. And I just, I can't imagine if, you know, as many people as we have down there, if I owned Bon Bon and I woke up one day and realized I didn't have my property rights, because what's to, what's to prevent Lawrence Beer Company two doors down from telling their employees, hey, go fill up Bon Bon's parking lot. It just, it, it just doesn't make sense. So, so yes, I've been very aware of the guidelines until recently. I've not been aware that anybody believed that there was shared parking. And in your letter, you state that you're not opposed to shared parking um, under the right circumstances. Can you elaborate on that for the board? Well, it's what we're doing now. It's what we've always done. I think shared parking is a great thing so long that everybody contributes. I mean, the reality is when I sold Bon Bon on the Cider Gallery and Lawrence Beer Company, I sold them to three tenants that were going to continue to use alcohol, sell alcohol there. I'm a big fan of it. I think they're successful in the district. In fact, I'm trying to do a fun restaurant bar concept at the Kwanzaa Hut. But the reality is that I can't, even if, even if affordable housing allowed it, 
I could not have people that I don't know who they are coming onto my property. There would need to be some mechanism to remove graffiti. There would need to be some mechanism to help with snow removal. I mean, I don't have anything to do with these businesses. I own the properties and it's, there's just, it just doesn't make any sense. Can you speak to the, um, the proposal that you mentioned in your letter um, about uh, creating a district that can actually contemplate some of the shared parking obligations that you mentioned? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen the, I've seen almost the opposite happen in Kansas City um, when, you know, we developed the Chatham Hotel at 37th and Broadway since it was a historic building and in a historic district. We just completely got rid of parking requirements. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to, to having shared parking um, throughout the district. I think that, you know, Pat, as you opened up, it's very important for Penn, for Penn Street Lofts just because of the IRS guidelines. But our property that has not been site plan, planned at 9th and Delaware, our property that has not been site planned at the Quonset Hut at 620 State Street, they would never be redeveloped if the answer was, yeah, we need to let people on the property that have nothing to do with our business. I mean, there's there's nothing at this point when Penn Street Lofts opens up. First of all, our investors would never jeopardize these tax credits with the IRS, nor would the city want us to because how in favor of affordable housing they are. But even if all of that was able to be worked out, we, we don't have any insurance policy from these various companies that have these tenants leaving their bars and restaurants coming onto our property. It's not just about parking. At this point, you've lost all your property rights People can walk across your, pro- I mean, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a massive liability. And to be clear, you're not opposed to shared parking under the right circumstances. Absolutely. We're doing it today until recently. We just didn't realize that Penn street lofts, a private owned section 42 property would um, be forced to use shared parking at, you know, Again, as a reminder, Nine Dell is its own deal. The polar lot from the beginning, the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation, they knew that this was going to be a public lot. We got sign off on all that. Low income housing tax credits were not used to build the polar parking lot. This is just completely different. And it's not different for Penn Street. This will be the case for all affordable housing communities in the city of Lawrence using low income housing tax credits to improve their parking. We are 100% in favor of shared parking. This just isn't the way to do it. We There would be a lot of things that we'd have to work out. And and I'd like for the record here to just verify that that is your letter that you signed and, and you stand behind it. That's correct. And, and can you speak to Corb's letter? Um, I, you know, I... I'm not an attorney and I, I love you guys. We need all of you, but I, uh, you know, I, I don't know the legal jargon as well as I should. Um, I know that Corb Maxwell was the attorney that worked on behalf of the city or whomever put this document together. He's literally the only attorney I believe listed on the Penn Street guidelines. I read his letter and I agree with um, all aspects of the letter, just as, you know, the other five or six attorneys involved, um, not on my team, on the, on behalf of the limited partnership and the other various entities that it takes to close a transaction like this. Everybody agrees. In fact, they agree in very short order once asked 
the questions, is there a covenant, is there an easement, which again, there is not. Tony, thank you very much. Um, do you have anything else to add? Um, I, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. I, I could talk about this for hours. I, I, that's that's not the point of this meeting, but I'd love to answer questions if anybody has any. Sure. Thank you, Tony. And um, just to close on some of these remarks, um, your deliberations and your determinations are, are critically important uh, for Tony and, and I believe everybody in the district. And your job is important, but it doesn't have to be difficult. Um, we think your job is actually simple. Uh, you, you are tasked with reviewing the guidelines in, re in accordance with the common sense rules of interpretation to look at those guidelines and interpret the words under the rules of the code. The city's request of you is difficult. The city is asking that you endorse a shared parking agreement or arrangement for off-street parking when those words do not exist in the design guide. The city is requesting that you ignore the requirements for interpreting the code and find directives that have not been written. The city is requesting that you disregard the statement of one of the primary drafters of the design guidelines, a person whose specific job it was to oversee land use control. The city is requesting that you create a one-of-a-kind regulation, which would allow public occupation of private property, some, something that we think and find to be illegal to begin with. The city is requesting that you provide the rationale for their policy to provide authority based upon the code for their afterthought. Our request is simple, to recognize the statement of one of the drafters of the code one of the only persons in the position to know the intention of the design guidelines. Our request is to embrace the simple language of the design guidelines and rely on the words of that document to respect the words of the code. Our request is that you confirm that the design guidelines do not create a public parking obligation for off-street parking. And we're available to answer any questions that you might have and we're happy to work through this with you all. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. Why don't we do this before we start taking questions from the appellant? Why don't we um, why don't we essentially hear the statement or rebuttal from staff, and then as a board, we can start figuring out what areas we want to dive a little deeper into. Is that all right with everybody? All right, Catherine or whoever's going to present, go ahead. Catherine Weeks, staff liaison. So again, I would refer the board to the letter of interpretation that's planning director and the staff report that has been included in the packet. Um, staff um, would like to point out that the guidelines are guidelines. They are adopted by reference into the land development code. Guidelines by nature are not necessarily as specific as code language is. Guidelines are there and designed to provide a tool. This particular set of guidelines for the 8th and Penn redevelopment um, zone <clears throat> was designed to uh, create an alternate way for mixed use developments to uh, develop without the strict burdens that are in the land development code. It, it does allow for reductions. It does allow for different standards in relation to historic context 
Um, and these guidelines are specifically stated to be a tool for the Historic Resource Committee, the City Commission, and City Planning to guide that development in this redevelopment zone. And since its inception and adoption in 2006, the planning director um, has stated that this particular method or tool for development in this zone has been utilized consistently from the inception in 2006 when development has started to incur. Shared parking is assumed to be a benefit throughout the entire district and shared parking has been used to calculate parking totals throughout the district. All site plans and SUPs that have been approved in the district have included tables um, and parking calculations based on shared parking being utilized throughout the district. So staff, staff would like to point out also that the design guidelines and the 8th and Penn Redevelopment District, nowhere in it does it dictate that uh, any developer or anyone in, in interested in developing the area is required to seek tax credits for low-income housing or to go th through the tax credit process. That is not something that the uh, uh, redevelopment zone dictates. That's something that the applicants or developers have chosen to do upon themselves. Staff would reiterate that the applicant or appellant's desire to remove shared parking requirements on particular properties for legal reasons, for tax credits or low-income housing, does not constitute an error in determination or utilizing the shared uh, parking interpretation that has been consistent throughout the development of, of this particular redevelopment zone. Also, the overlay district in and of itself does create a unique zoning district that is not um, so these parking reductions and the shared parking concept that is happening in the 8th and Penn district does not happen on Mass Street or other areas because they do not have the overlay district and they do not have a set of guidelines that specifically talk about uh, mixed uses and developments uh, which can utilize shared parking. The, for instance, the downtown district has a completely different set of guidelines um, that does not necessarily address that in the same way. So staff would reiterate that although the applicant may have reasons for needing the parking to be removed from shared, it does not constitute an error in staff's determination um, that shared parking is calculated and assumed uh, to be throughout the entire district. Thank you, Catherine. This is Chairperson Herod. I'm going to start off one um, on page 142 of the packet, so the very last page, there's a map there, I think. Is that, is that right? And I, my question is, is that map, does it accurately display the issue here where it's showing in blue city on parking and it's showing in green parking that is said to be privately owned off street parking? Is this an accurate map? So staff would be unable to um, answer that question because that map was submitted at 2.30 this afternoon um, and staff has not had the opportunity to verify whether or not it's accurately depicted. We have no reason to assume that it isn't, right. but it was submitted at 2.30 this afternoon, not as part of the application. Okay, um, so it, it hasn't been vetted by staff yet. Okay, Correct. so then I'll turn to Mr. Watkins. So Mr. Watkins, is it your understanding that this map accurately reflects you know, to 
the issue that we're dealing with here tonight? Yes. I okay. I pulled from the table, but again, it was my first attempt to do this. Um, right. I figured the staff would have something on file, but um, we were forced to create it on our own. Okay. So it sounds like you and staff are both saying this at least gives us a general idea of what's going on in the area. And so, Mr. Watkins, can you advise me on this map on page 142, where are we specifically talking about one piece of property that Mr. Kresnick owns? Like which, what in particular are we talking about that is of interest to Mr. Kresnick? Well, there is a, a reason for the appeal right now, but in my opinion, we're looking at an interpretation that affects the entire district and it's called. Sure. The sure. But my question is, is, and if you don't, if I just, for my situational awareness, I'd like to know where, where on here is Mr. Kresnick's property. Sure. It's at the top. There's sort of green L there. That's Penn Street Lofts. It was approved this last year. It's 47 units of affordable housing with 10 work live units on the bottom. It's a mixed use building that's three and four stories tall. Okay. I get it. Okay. I see that. Um, okay. And so then I'll go back to you, Mr. Watkins. So I go back to the beginning of the, uh, the packet and I'll direct everybody to what page that I'm looking at, but there's an email that I believe you sent to Jeff Crick and Mary. Is that right, Mr. Watkins? Sounds correct. Right. And so my question is, and so in this email, you're, you're kind of rebutting their analysis. You're saying, wait, I don't think I agree with this. Is that basically right? That's right. This is the first situation where we've heard of shared parking. And so we're saying, wait, hold on. We saw this in an email. We're, we're quite concerned about this. Right. How do we get this addressed? So here's my question. What, what got us started? What was, the, what was the first email or the first conversation? How did this issue come up? And, and so that I'm not hiding the ball or anything like that. My, my curiosity is, is, you know, this, this, um, this arts district, you know, we've been sitting here and working on this and businesses have been doing their thing for, I don't know, you know, almost 20 years or something like that. And now a really important issue has come to light. So how did this, how did this happen? What, what was the genesis here? I can let Catherine respond after uh, my comments, but, you know, I think there wasn't really an issue because there's never been a real parking crisis. Sometimes these things come up as the district evolves. And I think at this point, parking has become more of an issue. Um, it's Tony's position and he put it, uh, he said, he stated it clearly over the 10 years or 11 years, as you say, it's, it's, it's been planned for over 20, but over the 11 years of his remarkable development success in that area, he was completely unaware that there was a suggestion of a policy like this. So this discussion came up after Penn Street Lofts was approved, it came up, um, I think, through some technical review of the site plan. Um, and when it was brought to our attention, um, we certainly called it out and we, we immediately said this, this needs to be sorted very quickly. We're, we're familiar with these design guidelines and we find them easy, easy, easy to be interpreted and enforced. This particular rule doesn't meet that criteria. We need to solve it. So, and you and definitely jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. So for the previous 11 years, and we'll just talk about Mr. Kresnick, but for the previous, um, for the previous 11 years, 
you know, Mr. Kresnick appears like he was proceeding on the assumption, hey, I own this L-shaped lot here at the, you know, the top of our map on page 142, and I can treat this lot as I would any other lot that I privately own, which is I can close it when I want, I can, you know, I can tow people out of it if I want, I can call the police and have them get rid of trespassers if I want. Is that basically how he's proceeding? Yes, that's true. Um, I would note, though, that the city says that this shared use parking requirement on off street parking doesn't apply until the parking comes up and is improved to code. So even under the city's interpretation, his rights to enforce parking on that space um, at that time previously wouldn't it wouldn't have been an issue under this determination. It's only because he's improving it now that the city is saying this applies to parking that is brought to code. Okay. I add to that, Pat, please. And, and I apologize um, to, inter to interrupt everybody. I, it, it actually happened a, a heck of a lot more random than this. Um, I, have a, I have a knack for calling Mary Miller and randomly asking her questions because she knows these guidelines and the code uh, and parking requirements much better than, than I do. And I believe in, it was 100% a random call. There's no more parking issues today than there was two or three years ago. Um, you know, that, that's not what drove this at all. In fact, Penn Street Lofts isn't what drove this at all either. Mary and I had some conversation about four months ago, probably in regards to me purchasing the Kwanzaa Hut property that we did about three months ago, where she used the term shared parking. And I corrected her and she said, no, it's shared parking. I said, no, we use a reduced calculation so that we could develop all these properties. And that's what brought this up. It was completely random. This was not driven by the city. This was me having one conversation with Mary that didn't sit well. I dug into it and thankfully I did. I, I just wanted to make that clear. And I also wanted to just say, I appreciate what Catherine said. Um, we are not, we are not, uh, we did not go to the city to ask for a variance or appeal anything. I'm, I, we're not in hot water here. Um, or at least we didn't think we were with affordable housing tax credits. This was randomly dropped on us. There is no easement. There is no covenant. I know I keep on saying that. But and thank you, Mr. President. Go ahead and, and, and push pause for me. I, I appreciate I appreciate you fleshing out where this came from, because that actually that just makes a lot of sense. Kind of how these things suddenly happen, you know, where it sounds like the city thought one thing and you, one of the owners, thought another thing. And that really, I think just makes more sense, at least for me. So so here's my question. Now I'm going to direct it to, to Catherine Wyke. So, and if I'm stating this too strongly, let me know. So the city is saying that if you're going to be a private property owner in this district, specifically the owner of a lot, a private, a, a parking lot that's privately owned, you have to make the spots in that lot available for people utilizing this district. Is that a true statement? I think it is true to the regard that the city is saying you can't bar them from utilizing it. You don't necessarily have to advertise that they're open, but yes, it is assumed that every parking space in the district has been approved to be utilized by those using the district for whatever purpose, be it residential or commercial. Okay. And if, 
And hypothetically, if a property owner said, you know, no, I'm not going to let, you know, just anybody park in my lot, what would the city do in response? I can't hear you, Catherine, you're muted. Yeah, it cut out. So that's a good question. I, I suppose that would be an enforcement question as to whether or not there would be any enforcement action taken um, on the part from the city or the private property owner. All right. So, but the position of the city is if you are a private property owner and you have a privately owned parking lot in this district, you shall make the parking in that lot available to people utilizing the district. That is the determination that came out of our office. Yes. And yes. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm done with my, <laughs> my questioning for the moment. Uh, let me open it up to the rest of the board. Does anybody else have a question for our staff? Mr. Clark, do you have something? No. Saw you saw your hand up. Anybody else? Board member Shalinsky. Um, yeah, this is Barry Shalinsky. Um, I'm going to refer to um, page 19 of the uh, 65 page PDF, um, which is um, page nine of the staff analysis uh, for the project that we're talking about when it went before the planning commission, I believe. And the uh, staff was in favor of approving the uh, application and uh, paragraph two under parking says the parking area is in compliance with parking standards of the design guidelines. Alternate parking requirements were established with the design guidelines due to the fact that parking is to be shared throughout the district. So this was, um, February of 2020 that this went before the, um, well, I don't know when it went before, but it's when the staff report was prepared. So I guess my question is um, of either um, Patrick or Tony, um, did you read this at the time? And if so, what did it mean? And why didn't, why didn't it raise a red flag? Cause that, it looks to me like, you know, two years ago before construction was started and when the um, tax credits were known about and the process was being um, approved that the staff position was fairly clearly stated in that paragraph. And Barry, you're going to have to help me get 
where you are. What are you looking at? Can you go to the actual page number within the 142 page packet? Uh, I if, you have look in the, the... if you look in the top left corner, if you're looking at it on a PDF viewer, there should be a page count in the top left corner saying what some number out of 142. It's 96. Oh. 96. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you. I'm looking at a different PDF, I guess. Thank you, everybody. So I guess, yeah, my question is, um, it, it seems like that would have been a good time for this issue to have come up, and I'm trying to understand why it didn't. Well, it was, again, it was a shared parking calculation. It was a reduced calculation that was used to develop the property. And I think Corb Maxwell, the author of the legal side of this, um, speaks to that in his document as well. But, you know, there's, again, no covenant, no easement, and all of the documentation that we have with the city, all of, the, all of that documentation recorded with the county through a land use restriction agreement, it never makes any mention of it. In the event that it did, we never would have been able to move forward with it because again, it's an interference with IRS guidelines. So, you know, again, to Catherine's point earlier, we are not asking for forgiveness or to change anything. This was just not in the discussions, which is why it wasn't in the agreement. I would add something here, Barry, um, and it's a good question, but um, in addition to Tony's point, you know, I, I read those two sentences and I come up with um, what I think is a different interpretation than what I think maybe staff's interpretation was. For Penn Street Lofts, the, the staff allowed us to site plan multiple parcels together to meet the parking requirements. Um, suggesting, sort of buried in a, a parking, in a staff report, that um, it meets the design guidelines due to the fact that parking is shared throughout the district. In my opinion, even, even if we were to really examine this, I think there's an interpretation there that we're using multiple parcels to meet the shared use or the, the parking requirements. And that's what they mean by shared use, shared parking or sh parking is shared throughout the district. The fact that we're using multiple parcels um, to meet this reduced parking for a mixed use building suggests that parking is shared throughout the, the district. The fact that it, it, um, it, that the property owner believes that it ought to be able to be regulated on an individual parcel still complies with the intention of having reduced parking. Penn uh, Street Lofts is, is a mixed-use building. Um, the fact that we had three parcels throughout the district, I think if I were to read that back at that time, and I can't remember specifically if I read that sentence, but to me that meets the intention of our interpretation. Does that make sense? Ordinary Rankin, I have a question. I'm not sure if this is for staff or the applicant. So kind of what I think I heard there is because you're um, counting on the shared parking, you reduced the number of parking spots for on your lot. Um, if you didn't do the shared parking calculation, you'd have to have provide more parking. Is that correct? Yeah, that this is this is Tony Kresnick. Um, I, 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 you're correct. We we would have had to have provided a few more parking spaces. And to Pat's point, the shared parking that I believe that that report might be referring to is the shared parking between Penn Street Lofts 
in another entity that I own under the name Ohio Mortgage, located at 9th and Delaware, even with the shared parking calculation or the reduced parking calculation as we understood it at this time or at that time, I was still shy on spots. And so if you guys drive down to 9th and Delaware, if you see gravel spots being added to a lot that I own at uh, 9th and Delaware, again, under the legal name Ohio Mortgage, Penn Street Lofts is sharing those spots with my own entity. The city staff had us grab more spots, and that's the only place I could find them. Any other board member have any question for anybody? Uh, board member Clark. Uh, this is board member Clark. Question for the uh, appellant would just be this. I, as I look back through this email chain, it, there does happen to be, uh, it does seem to be a revolver on the parking lot at 716 East 9th Street, uh, which Mr. Krasnick, I believe that's on the, the northwest corner of Delaware and 9th. I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, but that is the that is the the gravel lot there, which um, I've always I've actually never understood what the what the role of that lot is and who owned it um, there. Can you speak to how you believe that that lot is being used right now? Are, are the northwest corner of Ninth and Delaware. Yeah, it's the uh, parking lot directly behind the the Orpington office building right there. Yeah, Just um, south of Polar. Sure. So that so that's so that's my parking lot that I that I'm talking about that I own under the name Ohio Mortgage LLC. And that parking lot, since we were short on our even with our reduced parking calculation, that needed to share or in this case that gravel that you speak of. That's because the asphalt has not been poured yet, but we needed to actually add more parking to the district, even to meet the requirements of the uh, reduced parking calculation that city staff adhered to through the Penn Street guidelines. And so that is, those are, I believe, 11 more spots that are being added in the next 45 days. Those are the spots that I, under Ohio Mortgage, am sharing with Penn Street Lofts. And this is Board Member Clark. What, what, has, what has been and what will be your approach for regulating access to those parking spots in regard to their shared use? I mean, really, and you, you can see this at the Turn Hall Buildings parking lot. I don't do any regulation whatsoever um, at, at Lawrence Beer Company. Lawrence Beer Company is really the, the only large operating business in the district that doesn't have any of their own parking. And they lease, uh, they essentially pay me on a monthly basis for a parking access lease there, as well as that green space that is uh, technically the property of the Orpington. Um, but other than that, again, I, you know, we're not towing cars, you know, the, the annex building where Seaco studios are, we don't monitor it. We're, you know, if somebody's going to use our parking lot, especially if they're a drinking establishment, you know, we'll ask for, you know, some type of, you know, liability, you know, to be named additionally insured. We'd ask to help out with operating expenses and stuff like that. But again, that's, that's just, that that's just us being neighborly. We're not we're not looking to tow cars. We, I don't believe we've ever towed a car in the nine years that Polar Lofts has been open. In the case of Penn Street Lofts, again, separate topic. Using affordable housing tax credit money, you just can't have people park there unless you go back and uh, reconfigure, create a condo association for the parking lot alone. I mean, it's just an absolute mess. We never did it before because it wasn't in any of the documentation 
this just randomly came up from a conversation Mary and I had three to four months ago. Thank you, Mr. Kresnick. Why don't we um, take a minute? I believe we have a couple of persons that want to provide public comment on the issue before the board. Why don't we go ahead and let them um, share with us and then we can get back into analysis or question asking. Luke, can you make that happen? Yep, Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services staff. Let's start with the Zoom public comments and I believe Scott Treadle has a Zoom comment. So Scott, if you wanna unmute and go ahead. We can go ahead, I'll, I'll give him and I'll shoot him an email because we've been communicating. But in the meantime, we do have an in-person public comment as well who can come to the podium and speak uh, at this time. Thank you. All right, uh, everything working here? Good, uh, yeah, so my name is Brendan Allen. Full disclosure, uh, I am involved in the Lawrence Beer Company uh, down on Pennsylvania Street. Um, so this is kind of an interesting issue for us. Uh, as you might imagine, uh, there was a shared use uh, parking agreement that uh, everyone kind of abided by. So in our case, we actually had to build out the public uh, spots on the street. So the ones that you see actually on the street that we actually can't make private in any way were part of our shared parking obligation uh, that everyone had in the district. And so uh, I just feel pretty strongly that, um, you know, Mr. Kresnick and some other people are trying to get it both ways. Like they get the benefit of having the shared parking reduction, but yet then, you know, block it off. Um, and we don't have that option uh, due to how our shared parking works. Um, so anyway, uh, that's, I guess, all I wanted to say is that, uh, you know, we had a, a list of agreements. I mean, Mr. Kresnick's been in that area for a while as well. He's had polar lofts and other things. This is not a new thing. Uh, it's been there for a while. So uh, I think uh, the new development has pushed this. Um, and I think it would be bad for the whole neighborhood to have it, uh, have everyone like take their parcel off and do it. I would also say too, there is a mechanism for uh, them if they want to leave the district, they can actually leave the district. They have to reapply and actually leave the district and do that. There's a mechanism to get out of this and the agreement that we have. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you, um, Mr. Allen. Does anybody on the board have any questions for Mr. Allen? All right, seeing none, uh, does our commentator on Zoom is he able to go? Mortensen Planning and Development Services. I've sent him another link to the meeting. I, I'm not sure if he's even in the meeting. So uh, if he can okay. communicate with me, I'll let you know. Okay, thank you. Yeah, just let us know. And you don't have to, next time you don't have to send a chat, just let us know, okay, if he comes back in so that we can hear from that individual. Sounds good. Okay, so we've heard presentation from the appellant and from staff, uh, essentially the appellee, I guess. Um, at this point, I think I would suggest bringing it back to the commission for discussion with the caveat that we might have an individual from the public that would like to speak with us by Zoom. And also that certainly if we have questions for Mr. Watkins, Mr. Kresnick or staff, we can direct some questions, but we probably need to start narrowing the issues 
and moving towards some sort of solution. Does anybody have a problem with proceeding in that fashion? No? All right. Then I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion, analysis, and actions. Anybody want to start us off? All right, I'll start us off. <laughs> this is Chairperson Herod. This is a big deal. Um, you know, the, the appellant is correct that, yeah, there, there's some language about this and the design guidelines for this sector. And certainly it sounds like everybody was proceeding in a fashion for quite some time, but it sounds like ultimately there was some ambiguity as to what this whole shared burden for parking really meant. And now it's here before us. Um, you know, the appellant isn't wrong that I would have imagined I would see some things, just some more specific language regarding this issue, because it is such an important issue. You know, you, you know, as, as staff, staff advised us, you know, the city, is able to direct, you know, private landowners what they're going to do with their private property, with their private property, in this case, their, their parking lots. That's a big deal, um, if, to me, at least. And to have such um, an important issue that's just talked about in sort of vague and fuzzy language is a little distressing to me. And then we have a letter from an, an attorney, an individual who advises that he's the principal drafter of these guidelines. I don't know if he is or not. We'll take him at his word. Um, but he's telling us that something like this wasn't exactly um, contemplated, at least as, as it's in front of us tonight at the time of of conception, and that's certainly not a new thing when you're drafting laws, regulations, codes. In my experience, um, sometimes just things get missed that you know are really important in hindsight. And this is a big issue to drop on the five commissioners here tonight because it has you know some real ripple effects across this whole district, and. You know, this is why appellate courts take things under advisement and can ask for rebriefings and can just keep drilling and drilling until they really get to where they want to be. While, you know, we have the efforts of Mr. Watkins and Mr. Kresnick and, and Ms. White tonight and, you know, tens of pages to guide us. And I think what will be a, a very consequential decision. So... I don't know if that helped anybody or not, but that's fuzzily where my mind is at right now. Does any other board member have any comment or discussion? Uh, yes, go member, ahead. Board member Clark, I am I'm trying to look specifically into the 8th and Pennsylvania uh, street redevelopment area design guidelines. Uh, it seems, uh, as best I can tell, much of this is coming off of page 16 of 86, uh, talking about uh, 
I am incorrect, I would welcome anybody to interrupt me and make sure that I'm not looking at the wrong place here. Uh, but this seems to be the area cited by staff uh, when talking about parking. And so I'm, it has, I don't believe it's been read yet. So I'm just going to read it just so that it's top of mind as we try and understand uh, somewhere between the original drafter's intent and staff's interpretation of the intent. Uh, so parking. Parking 8th and Penn neighborhood redevelopment zone will be designed to reflect the desired mixed use pedestrian scale character of the redevelopment zone. One of the virtues of a mixed use development is that parking areas can be shared by different users at different times. For example, a residential parking space could be used by an office user while the homeowner is away during working hours. This results in a neighborhood that is active, more comfortable for the pedestrian, and better for the environment. The mix of uses proposed in the 8th and Penn neighborhood development zone allows for a reduction in the parking requirements typical for zoning, di zoning districts and land uses more closely associated with heavy vehicular traffic. This reduction creates a more pedestrian-friendly district as the residents will not have to cross large expanses of parking to reach their destination. This will be more environmentally, environmentally sensitive due to the reduction of heat islands and light pollution commonly caused by large open parking lots. So I leave that as is as a comment on for us to talk about. Chair Herod, I'll just note Scott Treadle is with us. He had uh, requested a Zoom public comment. Sure. Why don't we, um, yeah, why don't we allow some public comment uh, since he was patient enough to rejoin us? Go ahead. Uh, Scott Treadle, I don't know if it was uh, patience or my own uh, computer ineptitude, but I just had a question, uh, particularly for staff and for Mr. Kresnick and Mr. Watkins. Um, should you sort of secede away from the district guidelines, what would then be your parking requirement for this development and how would you provide that? And so Mr. Treadle, what we'll do is since this is really public comment um, and the Board of Zoning Appeals is the inquiring body, I'll just, I'll say, I'll just take that as a question directed at the Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, and I mean, that's, that's legitimately at the, at the edge of this issue, you know, I asked uh, staff member Catherine Weick a little while ago, you know, what's the enforcement mechanism if a landowner property owner doesn't want to abide by this? And it just shows the ambiguity of this issue. It's been out there for years. It just, it never came up and now it's here. What, you know, what is the enforcement mechanism? What do we do if this doesn't work? Um, and the thing is, I don't know that there is an answer to that question right now. I think that's why it's before us is, you know, both the city and the appellant need a determination from this body. And with that determination, they can go on. And if they want to litigate it further, they can, you know, take it to court of competent jurisdiction and, you know, lit litigate it you know, further if they have to. Um, so I appreciate I appreciate that question to kind of 
give us you know some more to to think about. Um, oh, I see Mr. Watkins. Go ahead. Yeah, I interpreted Scott's question in part to be what happens if the city is forced to change its determination through the Board of Zoning Appeals. I think Tony's position on this is that the district doesn't change at all. There is still shared use parking in a range of ways. There, the shared uses occur on street parking that's city owned. It occurs on the polar lofts lot, which is city owned. It occurs on individual parcels that are already mixed use buildings. Shared use parking or shared parking is occurring all over the district already. And, and it's our belief and our position that the guidelines intended that to be the definition and, and the interpretation of shared parking is that you don't have to open up or uh, be for, force uh, individual property owners to open up their personal, pro you know, their private bounds of their property to meet uh, shared parking. Shared parking is happening. Um, and we're meeting those requirements right now through what the design guidelines call for, which is a lot of mixed use buildings, which uh, our zoning code doesn't adequately uh, address parking. And so we're allowed to drop the requirement a little bit there. I think that the design guidelines were intended just to put a period after that. There's a reduced parking requirement because we have a lot of mixed use buildings, but it also contemplated 100 spaces at least of street parking that would be put in, additional opportunities where shared parking could be owned by city-owned parking lots like at Polar, and shared parking through commercial commitments just through individual property owners that know how to run a business, don't need regulation to step in and create shared parking. Um, that's what we believe the design guidelines call for. And so the Board of Zoning Appeals reversing the city's directive or policy determination here won't have an impact at all on the district. It's already what's happening. Right. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. I would, I would share this, you know, as, as an attorney, but I'm not a land use expert at all. I would simply share that I'm still a little befuddled that an issue that is clearly so key to the whole, to the whole makeup of this district is so ambiguous um that's 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 hard to figure um and i would also say you know i think it's been my experience in the law that the ambiguity is construed against the drafter and i just i have real problems um but at the same time you know we have I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 11 years worth of precedent of everybody just proceeding along with this concept of shared parking. Um, it's also hard to now step up and want this definitive ruling that says it's, it's shared and name only. It's really more of an honor system. Just something like that. It just seems odd that someone didn't really put meat on those bones in the beginning. But I think it sounds like everybody's eyes were more on the prize. Like, Hey, let's get this thing going. Let's create this, um, this district or can do this really great, you know, development or whatever. And this issue just, you know, just, it didn't get the attention it should have gotten. That's just my opinion. Um, any other board member have any other thought? Yeah. 
Go ahead, Nathan. This is board member Clark, and I, I'm feeling the tension as well. And when I when I read that paragraph about the intent of parking, uh, part of me construes that as a directive towards um, pointed more towards uh, city, the city staff, and and saying like we want to. It is our intent that you would permit a lower parking requirement. You know, it is the intent of this neighborhood uh, that you would reduce parking requirements because we want this to be a mixed use thing. And therefore I could, I can see the appellant's intent and belief that that was the direction it could go. Um, However, it is very hard to ignore uh, the public comment and the public feedback we've got, which seems to be coming from all of the other uh, business owners and uh, participants in the district that there is a, there is, and there was, and there has been a, an implied uh, agreement of sharing and that that is part of what makes this district special. Um, and so therefore that seems to, uh, you know, it just unfortunately reflect poorly on communication uh, between the appellant and the other district participants. Um, I, 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 I am not enjoying this position that we are put in right now. I agree. Any other board member have anything? Uh, Catherine. Well, so I just, I want to bring about a point of clarification to you about the district. So, you know, there, there is a path, there is a mechanism, as was mentioned by one of the public speakers. If the applicant so chooses, they or the appellant, they can request zoning out of the district and provide parking that is not shared or does not participate in the implied sharing in the district. And I think an example was also thrown out. Um, I think the address was given as 900 Penn, but I want to clarify if that was actually meant to be 900 Delaware with the Delaware development, that development that may also utilize shared parking is not actually in the district. That development is zoned um, RM32 with the planned development overlay. So that's not in the overlay, the eighth and Penn um, overlay district. So that's, it's a little different, but the development at 801 Penn could potentially request a rezoning out to a similar zoning district that 900 Delaware is in. Um, and develop similarly with shared parking or not shared parking. Thank you, Catherine. But the thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can ask to be rezoned, but it doesn't guarantee that it'll happen, right? That is correct. There's okay. no guarantee that you would get the rezoning. Okay. So there's a potential exit door, but the exit door might be locked from the outside. Um, Board member Falvey, I have a, qu- a follow-up question for staff member um, Catherine. Um, if they left the district and were able to leave the district, would they have to then meet the parking requirements as um, intended by the zoning? Or would they, since it's already been approved, would they still have the shared parking or reduced parking? Um, They would probably have to seek a variance from the parking requirements of the land development code. So they're already existing under an approved SUP 
um, they would probably have to go back before the Board of Zoning Appeals for a, a variance and reduction in parking. Um, if they cannot meet the parking that would be in the land development code for the district, it may in fact impa impact their SUP. They would have to revise their SUP um, to modify the parking calculations if that were the case. It's not necessarily a change in the SUP because the use would not be changing. Um, it would probably be more of an administrative adjustment in that case um, because it would be basically a site planning detail, detail on parking requirements um, that were changing. Right. right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, Mr. Watkins, give us, give us one last bit, and then I'm going to start pushing on the board to get closer to a decision. Yeah, and I, I know that Tony's got a specific response to that. He's been given guidance by Mary Miller about what it takes to opt out of the district. Um, before passing it off to him, I, I would encourage the board to look at the following five paragraphs of the parking section. First one, in our opinion, is written to be explanatory, and the following five are written to be directives. Um, I think that's as dip, you know, complex as this analysis has to be. But Tony, can you speak to what it takes to opt out? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to just quickly say to Mr. Chairman of the board that although I do own, aside from the eight spots, and I believe this, the 12 spots that Scott Treadle has, uh, or Scott's team has there at the, at the new Tortilla factory, I, although I do have all of the, or, or most of the private land in the area, the only one that we're currently talking about is Penn Street Lofts because the others have not been site planned yet. It's only shared parking in the district upon site planning of a property. So if you think about the largest land down there, Kennedy Glass and now the Kwanzaa Hut property, um, the property at Ninth and Delaware also has not been site planned. The property that Lawrence Beer Company, um, you know, leases from me. We could blockade all of those properties. We we have no intention of doing so, but those are not site plans. So, you know, again, the, the, the shared parking, although it does refer to the district as a whole, it's only properties that have been site planned since the district was formed. That's the staff's interpretation. And they have, staff has confirmed, it does not currently apply to the parking lot at 9th and Delaware. It does not apply to the Kwanzaa Hut, which can provide hundreds of spots. It does not apply to Kennedy Glass. And I don't believe it applies to the annex building where the artists are. And, um, and I, I in, in, a, in a conversation with Mary, a casual conversation, just as Catherine uh, spoke about uh, earlier, we can opt out of the parking. Uh, we could shut down the lot uh, or all of the lots. We just don't want to do that. I love this district. You know, I think everything's going great. We just need to clean this up. Uh, Catherine White, go ahead, and then I'll go ahead and cut it off and start pushing on the board. Yeah, I just want to clarify that the reason that those unimproved parking lots can't be considered as part of shared parking is because they are not approved for parking as per se. They're not improved parking surfaces, which is why currently staff doesn't include those in the parking calculations. Were they to be improved, even if they were just improved as parking lots, then of course they could be technically improved or calculated into the district. So. Thank you. Well, as promised, I think we have as much actionable information before us as we're going to be able to get this evening before we start chasing our tails. Um, 
does the board want to discuss this more or is anybody willing to um, stake out a position and ask for a motion? What is the will of the board? Oh, and by the way, I want to say one thing before we really get to the meat and potatoes. I don't think I've ever been called the chairman of the board before. It made me feel like Frank Sinatra there for a second. So just, you know, I, I enjoyed that moment. So anyway, um, go ahead. What does the board want to do? This is board member Clark. I, I have some, I have some, thoughts that I can share. Um, I don't, but I, I would, I would love to actually hear everybody else's opinion as well. My opinion, I'll just, I'll, I'll restate it once more. I'm, I'm just baffled by the amount of ambiguity and such an important issue. Um, I'm not blaming anybody. It just, it's been out there all this time. It is such a key issue. It's such a key element to make this district work. And yet it, there's just literally just, I mean, just not much to flesh it out. Um, and that's really something, but I also take your, um, I also, I also, I, I hearken to what you said, a, you know, a few minutes ago where we have letters from all these other property owners. I think there's something like, five letters in support of staffs um in their of their decision in this matter you know where they're saying yeah we get it we understand how this works we 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 all understand this but still it's just it's sort of like this mutual understanding and that's about it and that's 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 really difficult to proceed from so there anybody else want to share with board member clark where your thoughts are um, board member Shalinsky, I guess it really very simply comes down to language. The first question that we need to remember is not, um, was this screwed up? Because clearly it was, and would, would it, could it, should it have been done differently? Clearly, yes, uh, but our question is, it was done the way it was. There is a guideline, and did the staff err in its decision of what that guideline does or doesn't mean? That's, that is the question. And the burden of proof is on the appellant. So that's just to sort of make sure that we have our focus about what we're really talking about here. Right. Yes, I agree. Uh, board member Falvey, did you want to jump in? Yes, uh, board member Falvey. Um, I have similar um, feelings to board member Schlinsky. Um, guidelines are there in place. Property owners know they're in a district when or have agreed to those adopted guidelines. And um, 
unfortunately the wording is unclear, but um, based on the guidelines, that's the determination that planning staff used and what we're also using. Um, yeah. Thank you, board member Falvey. Board member Rankin, I'm looking at you. I wanna, <laughs> I wanna see if you wanna share before we go back around. Uh, board member Rankin, I guess the one thing I'm hung up on is looking at oh, page 96 of this uh, 142 packet. Under parking under that table, it says total required 73 uh, provided 45 on site. So they, they obviously want the reduced parking um, in their favor to not provide that many parking spots, but then they want to lock it down. Um, that's my thought. All right. Uh, board member Clark. Yeah, this is this is board member Clark. I I I I flipped back and forth a couple times here. I think the the one of the challenges that I'm hanging up on uh, is what board member Shalinsky brought up earlier, uh, and I I'm trying to find that table that he referenced or something like that. But it was a it was a table outlining the. Uh, number of required spots uh and it seemed that the the 801 pennsylvania address here um only developed 45 uh, and it's it seemed like they were that was down from a number of like 70 or something like that board member Shlinsky, do you have that page in front of you still that was the one that board member rankin was just talking about you're going to find that on page 96 of 142 in your packet yeah, I've got the 65 page version. Um, oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Okay, here it is. 19. It's 19. Okay. Um, so, the, you know, my interpretation of that is that these requirements on this chart align with the Pennsylvania Street Redevelopment Area Design Guidelines for reduced parking. And that the, the reduced parking that we've you know, the, the intent with the specifics behind it generate the requirement in that second column, uh, which then based on the size of the project generates the third column, which is the required. And the total number I'm seeing there is 73 and the number provided is 45. I don't know how that got approved. Um, I, I would be maybe interested to hear how that number got from the required 73 down to the 45 and so to have the 45 and maybe say hey we're going to lean now out on the shared parking uh but not ourselves share our own parking uh i don't know how that happened and that that is upsetting and concerning to me um you know the the flip side is i it, i cannot in any part of this imagine that someone thought that they in the original intent of this that that someone developing parking on private property ah, would would somehow say hey this private lot uh needs to be extended to the entire neighborhood uh and you need to take care of it um to the to the appellant's case or something like that so that i am 
And the thing is, is not to interrupt, but the th- that really almost goes to the heart of it. The two things that you've said tonight, you know, just there has to be some awareness of what's going on when you, your normal requirement is 73, but you're only, you're only asked to provide 45. But then, as you said, board member Clark, it just, that goes to the heart of it, which is, it is expected. Clearly it's expected, but yet no one ever said it clearly. And that's just such an important thing. And it's, and and apparently they've been proceeding on that, you know, that shared assumption for years now until we have someone that, you know, raised their hand and said, what, what exactly are the rules of the road here? And what exactly are we obligated to do as property owners in this district? You know, and that's not an unfair question. And that's, that's just diligence on the part of a property owner to want to know, you know, what the, you know, what the four corners of his agreement actually tell him to do. Yeah, this this is board member Clark. So I, you know, I can. Man, I I am I am literally split down the middle. I can I can see it both ways. I can see that staff was one hundred percent correct in saying that, like, hey, no, this is this is a special district. There are special rules, um, and if you don't like those rules, you know. Apologies. It's it's just it's it's crazy. This is a two block by two. It feels like it's a two block by two block spot in town, and it's it's causing this kind of whatever. Um, and then on the on the flip side, I can also see that uh, the original draft and the intent of the draft uh, of the design guidelines um, they they would never imagine that this was going to apply to someone's private lot. And as long as and similar to every other parking spot in town and the, and the way that it's worked there is it's a private lot. It does have special requirements. Um, and, and that's great, but it's a private lot. And I just don't, it's, it's, it's that combined with that, how it, how it gets from 73 to 45. I, I have nothing. I would uh, say this, I'm looking at board member Shalinsky. I think he's expressed a position at least that's what I kind of divined when he was speaking. Board member Shalinsky, are you ready to make a motion on this or do you defer at this time and I can go and lean on somebody else? Um, I would defer at this point. I will vote, but I would rather not make a motion. Somebody is going to have to push the board off the fence and figure out where the votes on this issue are. Board member Falvey, you want to do it? Um, based on the information we have to make our decision on, um, I would like to make a motion that staff did not err in issuing the opinion that it did. All right. Based so you on staff report. So you want to affirm the staff's decision on this matter. Um, I'm looking for the right language because it's going to be important. Where is that? 
gigantic packet here. All right, so your motion is find that the planning director did not err in issuing the May 21st, 2021 administrative opinion determining that all properties within the 8th and Pennsylvania redevelopment zone, including the subject property, are required to participate in shared off-street parking, including parking developed on private property. Is that your motion, Board Member Falvey? Yes. All right, that is the motion. You all heard it. I'm not going to read it again. Is there a second for that motion? Board Member Rankin, I'll second. All right, it's been moved and seconded by Board Member Falvey and seconded by Board Member Rankin that uh, Board of Zoning Appeals affirm planning's decision in this matter. I've already read the language in the record. I'd ask staff to call the roll and find out where we are in this issue. Luke Morrison, Planning and Development Services staff. So a motion to approve the plan director's determination as motioned and seconded and restated by Chair Herod Clark. Uh, give me a second. Um, this is board member Clark. I, uh, I am going to ask for staff and the board's uh, grace in this, and that I am I I'm having a very difficult time reaching a conclusion on this, and seeing how our board is weighted tonight. Uh, I am extremely uncomfortable being put in the decision right now to make to cast the first vote uh, on this opinion. And in a situation that it's already uncomfortable, if if there is another board member that would be willing to vote in my stead first. Just have you vote out of order? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Luke, Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff. Since the motion is out there, I can, I can continue on and I'll come back to uh, board member Clark. Board member Falvey. Aye. Board member Herod. Aye. Board member Rankin. Aye. Board member Shalinsky. Aye. Board member Clark. Aye. A motion to affirm the plan director's determination passes five to zero. Thank you everybody for sticking with us. Thank you to the appellants for your thorough um, presentation. Thank you to staff for your thorough presentation. Um, are, is there any other business to come before the board this evening? Luke Morrison, Planning and Development Services staff. We don't have any miscellaneous items on the agenda. Uh, Catherine, jump in. I don't know if we have any items scheduled for the August meeting. Um, I, I do have one item on the radar. It has not come in yet, so I don't know if it will make this particular next meeting, but there may be one item. Okay. 
And then as far as future meetings go, you may be aware the city commission will be meeting in person or has met in person um, in July. Um, our direction has been that w the city commission will be going first and uh, other boards and commissions will follow at a later date. That's, that's the information that we have at this moment. So our past directive that you'll be contacted directly uh, continues. Thank you, Luke. Um, at this time, there being no further business before the Board of Zoning Appeals, I'd be looking for a motion to adjourn. Shalinsky, so moved. All right, is there a second? All Sorry, right. seconded. Board Member Clark seconds. Luke, can you call the roll? Yep, a motion to adjourn tonight's meeting. Clark. Aye. Falvey. Aye. Herod. Aye. Rankin. Aye. Shalinsky. Aye. So moved to adjourn. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.